0: Welcome, everybody, to Steel Watching. My name is Eric,
1: and I'm Sarah,
0: and today we are discussing Steel in the News. Woo-hoo. Woohoo! This just in. <laughs> I just I hesitated because <laughs> I don't actually have the title in my notes here and I just wanted to make sure I was, it was getting it right and sorry. Having one of those <laughs> senior moments. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we are going to be talking about this. This is the Hang on. I lost my That the train of thought derailed. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, it's not in the station. (laughs) It's like one of those Thomas the Tank Engine trains, you know?
0: (laughs) Steel in the News is the 18th episode of season one, and it was written by, uh, oh, it first aired on March 4th of 1983, and was written by Michael Gleason, Fred Lyle, and Duncan Smith from a story originally written by Fred Lyle and Duncan Smith.
1: March 4th? Wait, wait.
0: March 4th. March 4th,
1: you said, is when it aired? Isn't that? Yes. that is that today?
0: No, that yesterday. That That was my wife's birthday.
1: Okay. Sorry, my brain was like, are you kidding? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Go ahead.
0: And if you're listening to this in the future, just totally ignore us because this date and that date probably (laughs) has nothing to do with the date you're listening. But anyway.
1: No, it doesn't.
0: It was directed by (laughs) Bert Brinkerhoff. I went with the TV guide listing on this because it was pretty good. And again, we get all of our episode synopses from Judith Moose's book, steel loved after all these years. She's done an excellent job of cataloging those historical summaries. And so Mm -hmm. thank you to Judith. So it goes like this, a saboteur in a TV studio makes the news team look like bumbling fools on the air, but no one is laughing when the weatherman tumbles from the rafters dead.
1: It's <laughs> a pretty good. That is a great summary.
0: Yes, it is very succinct <laughs> and yep. yet covers pretty much the whole whole thing. Yep. Now, I, I I was hesitant on whether I should mention this or not, and I'll ask you: Did you have any external thoughts? I'll, I'll call it that: external thoughts while watching this episode.
1: I have a novel. I this is. There are so many thoughts that I had on just, not just the way that the news is presented, which is obviously the topic of the episode, but the way that the news was presented here in Canada and how it differs from the way the news is presented in the U.S.
0: Well, it's because you do it in two languages.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's that should be on a T-shirt. We do it in two languages. Uh, sorry, <laughs> it's like bankers do it with interest. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, go back and listen to the old episodes, folks. You get the joke.
1: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, you were saying what before I interrupted?
1: <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I just. I felt like so I did a bit of a deep dive uh, because I was very curious on for for Canadian media. Our Canadian media is sort of run by the CRTC, which is the Canadian Radio Telecommunications Commission, and essentially that kind of sets the rules on what broadcasts have to have and what kind of content they're allowed to have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and. One of those things that we have to have, it mandates that 35% of all of our programming, whether it's news, fictional, radio, et cetera, be Canadian. And this was obviously done to prevent, no offense, but the American um, <laughs> overwhelm of <laughs> American media because it, it, you know, our neighbors to the South, we love your TV shows, but it made it very difficult for a lot of Canadian artists to to get on TV and on the radio and stuff like that.
0: Oh, you mean Canadian artists like Bob and Doug McKenzie? What's up, poser? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love Bob and Doug. <laughs> oh, I do love Bob and Doug. <laughs> so, but it also affected our news because for the longest time, like the UK, we didn't have a lot of news stations and news programming for the longest time. It was mainly just the CBC. And prior to, say, 1958, the CBC had issued TV licenses to itself for seven TV stations, two in Montreal and six major Canadian citizens. Essentially, they were monitoring their competitors. They were able to sort of censor or... or,
0: Are you saying they abused their position and their authority? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, not really so much as, as it. it's more that they're kind of the parent and all of these other TV stations are kind of like the little kitties looking up to the CBC for its approval. And it's but the thing is, the CBC is government funded. So it's it, we we have a very different approach to the news. And I remember back in the 80s seeing some of the the American stations because we got a lot of Detroit stations and a lot of stations from New York and it would be like news at 11 the bees are going to kill us or (laughs) news at 11 like we're about to die is is your favorite snack causing cancer find out it you know and I'd be just like oh my god everything's awful like when I'd see those you know ours were very reassuring like I'm Peter Mansbridge and it was just very like different i guess is the way to put it so i don't know i i kind of went down that rabbit hole and, and looked at sort of how american news stations took their approach versus how and not one for better or worse but that happy talk format was a real thing oh yeah so yeah so I mean,
0: the the remnants <laughs> of it is star is still with or are, are still with us is still with us yeah i mean it's it's not entirely gone. Yeah. There's there's still a lot of chattiness in the news, so yeah, I didn't go that. So what were your thoughts? <laughs> I didn't go that way, um, and so I was curious if you had anything that resembled the same thoughts I had. As I had never thought this before, as as I watched the show, but doing my notes, you know, doing the rewatch for the podcast specifically, my mind kept going to this place, and I don't know why because the connection is, is really scary place. <laughs> yes. And you know, my mind, Should I can I go from worried? A to Z and nobody knows how I <laughs> yeah, got there.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you took a left turn at Albuquerque.
0: <laughs> yes. My head kept going to Don Henley, dirty laundry. <laughs> Are you familiar with the song?
1: <laughs> yep. yeah. Lisa. Lisa Marie Presley actually covered it as well, but yeah. Well, I, I knew she know did song. a song called that.
0: I didn't know if it was the same, same song.
1: It was, it was a cover. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, the lyrics of it just, you know, it's uh bubble headed bleach blonde comes on at five, tell you about the <laughs> plane crash with a gleam in her eye. It's all about, it, it, it has so many parallels to this episode, at least in my mind, uh, for some reason. And like I said, it's really not a direct tie between that song and this episode yeah but my thought kept going there and so on an impulse i did a little bit of research and i found something that was a little bit curious and
1: okay
0: i i, I don't want to go all conspiracy theory here but it, it is interesting
1: <laughs> cue the foil hat <laughs> <Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo>.
0: <laughs> this episode aired march 4th 1983 guess what the number one song on the billboard top tracks was on November 6th,
1: 1982. Dirty laundry. I don't know. Dirty
0: laundry. <laughs> and I, I kind of wanted to get us. I, I, I did a search on Fred Lyle and Duncan Smith and Don Henley to see if I could find anything where they intersected. And I didn't. So, At best, it might have been one of those things where they were aware of the song and they thought, hey, you know, that's a good theme. I I don't know. But I just found it curious that I kept going to this song. Yeah. And about five months, almost to the day, five months before (laughs) the episode aired, that song was number one. Go figure.
1: Well, it doesn't correlate the same way. Well, I did think of a song. It wasn't that one. It, it, no, I'm just, I'm talking about the song I was thinking about. Oh, um okay. I did think of a song. It wasn't that one, but it was released 10 years later. And so obviously it didn't influence the episode, mm-hmm. but it definitely feels almost like it's directly commenting on the episode. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know the song Too Much Information by Duran Duran.
0: Mm, never listened to Duran Duran.
1: So... The the lyrics of the song, and here's just so, like an example of some of them. The first verse goes, Destroyed by MTV, I hate to bite the hand that feeds me so much information. The pressure's on the screen to sell you things that you don't need. It's too much information. And then a little further down on the song, It's pumping down the cable like never so before. A cola manufacturer is sponsoring the war. Here come the news with love from me to you. And just like the another part of the song turn on the tube hits you with the groove advertising music we want you to choose it these teeth are white trainers ultra bright this band is perfect just don't scratch the surface so it it was very much and he mentions they mentioned three different stations in the song mtv abc and the bbc mm-hmm. and it just very much feels like they were commenting on the state of the news and media and etc in 1993 but it also feels very relevant to this episode in a lot of ways, especially that idea of biting the hand that feeds you mm-hmm. and being fed all of this, but at the same time, tuning in for it, because as what is it? Bernice says the news is depressing. Why not be turned on while you're watching it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I I definitely, I did think of a song. It wasn't Dirty Laundry, but it was it was Duran Duran's uh, Too Much Information.
0: <laughs> now that we've gone down that rabbit hole without even getting <laughs> into the episode, let's get yeah, right. into the episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Some macro thoughts. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> anyway, at the beginning of the episode, we see Laura and Remington. They're arriving at a TV station. The station has been having issues with incidents. Can't really call them sabotage yeah. because they could be explainable by other means, but they've had incidents. And they are things like the sports scores being reversed and wrong temperatures and film being the wrong film when it's, when it's supposed to be this, it's that, it's something else. So
1: Nursery Rhymes, I think he said as well, was one on the teleprompter. Yeah,
0: Nursery Rhymes on the teleprompter. That's right. So Laura and Steele are showing up to meet with Ed Green.
1: It made me think of Red Green, which is a Canadian TV show as well. (laughs) The Red Green show.
0: So they're there to meet him, but they're using an interview with Steele as their cover story. And, you know, I never thought about it before, again, before doing this podcast and and taking my notes for this episode. And it's like, oh, is that a good idea? (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think what other story they could have used to get them entree. And I can't really think of anything, but there had to have been something. What are your thoughts?
1: It seems to me that they still could have done something, but not have it be with Russell Stewart, quote-unquote investigative reporter extraordinaire. It, it, they do puff pieces all the time. In fact, they make comments about that in the episode. So That's true. It, it seems to me that if they she wanted a better cover... She could have easily just said, like, let's just do a puff piece, like you know Remington Steele's ten best cases. I <laughs> think he's had ten now, so we could definitely yeah. <laughs> you know, count those um, and he's got to yeah save those so for the book, i I mean, so. I don't think it's yeah that's true. I don't think it's a terrible idea to have an interview, but to have an interview with this Russell Stewart person who we we know is a fraud, but who they believe is." has exposed all of these people. <laughs> like Maybe not have him ask the questions. Maybe have it be one of the other anchors doing it. Chrissy Carstairs, for example. Yes. Uh, who, by the way, the actress that plays her, Tracy Scoggins, is one of my absolute favorite actresses of the late 80s and the early 90s. She's been in this show. She was Cat Grant on Lois and Clark for the first season. She was on Babylon 5. She was in season 5, The Captain Lockley. And she played the immortal Highlander, Cassandra, and Highlander, the series. All my favorite shows. She's popped up somewhere, and I just, I love her. She's great.
0: Well, I recognized <laughs> her name, but I don't think I've seen anything that she's been in other than this.
1: What about, you haven't seen season five, of Babylon 5? I,
0: I've never watched Babylon 5. No.
1: <gasps> oh, dear. Okay, we you need to fix that. <laughs> Go.
0: <laughs> You've heard it here, folks. I have okay. been officially chastised.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just figured if you're a Trekkie, you've seen Babylon 5. Well, I've I seen, was so wrong. I apologize. I've seen
0: bits and pieces of the, <laughs> of the Star Lost.
1: Okay, that's fair. You're you're, you're reinstated.
0: <laughs> you know what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah. That old <laughs> you're, Canadian you're TV incredible. show that's shot on videotape?
1: Yeah. 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 So bad, Harlan
0: Nelson <laughs> took his name off of it.
1: Hey, we needed the 35% CanCon, okay? <laughs> we had to do anything.
0: Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <fine>. So <laughs> It's interesting as they're walking in, you know, Steele's talking, he says, shades of Severide, Cronkite, Hugh Downs, (laughs) trench coats and drizzle. And the sound of (laughs) pant. it's like, I always wanted to be a reporter ever since I saw Joel McRae and Foreign Correspondent. So there's our first movie reference. (laughs) But my question is, well, first of all, uh, there was no attribution given. Foreign Correspondent, Joel McRae, Lorraine Day, United Artists, 1940. How old was Steele when he wanted to be a reporter? I mean... Was this a childhood phase, like when kids want to be a fireman or a policeman or an astronaut or a pilot? Or was it something Why? from his older years? Because obviously we know that Laura's interest in journalism was in her later years because she says that she had yeah. you know, been inspired by Elliot Walsh during her freshman year of college. So what do you think? Childhood
2: fantasy or adult because that definitely
1: feels like something you see and you're, oh, I want to be that. That looks so exciting. That looks thrilling, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. It just seems very much like a kid seeing the the more thrilling parts of something sensationalized and and sensationalism is the name of the game in this episode. So that Mm -hmm. kind of leads me to think childhood.
0: Okay. But we know that Laura said that she had seen Elliot Walsh during her freshman year in college yeah, and that he kind of inspired her to consider becoming a journalist. My question was, okay, wait a second. She also said she was there on a math scholarship. So she's on a math scholarship, interested in journalism, studying to be a detective. How did those three intersect?
1: So here's my guess. And your system might be a bit different. But here you can get a scholarship for say math or English or whatever your your marks are high in high school, and not necessarily make that your major so I mean, but we she does say later on she was a math major, which leads me to conclude that she maybe got her undergraduate in math and then went on to do either a college course to get her private investigator's license or something that was complementary post grad to supplement that because a math degree on its own is not a private investigator's license, but a private investigator's license, I'm assuming, is not university, you don't need a university degree for, I'm going to guess. So my assumption is that she got her BA or B whatever it is for math, I don't know, and then went on to to get licensed to do a course or something.
0: I was going to throw out a, an abbreviation, but that would have been very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> a bachelor of math. Mm. Unfo- yeah,
1: maybe not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you think that she just... I've had w-
1: doctors ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do, do you th- <laughs> hey, I started it. Do, do you you did do you think that her attending the lecture by Elliot Walsh was just something that she did on an impulse, or was it because there was some other motivation there which turned into an interest in journalism? It's just it's to me, it's just a weird combination because obviously yeah, she went to is. math <laughs> or she went to school on a math scholarship. She was a math major. Presumably, she also studied criminology as a major, because I can't imagine that a private detective's agency like Havenhurst would hire somebody that just walks in off the street. I want to a detective. I mean, I would.
1: They'd
0: be looking for somebody that's got.
1: (laughs) She might sound slightly smarter with a math degree, but okay.
0: (laughs) I mean, they would be looking for somebody that's got either a background in law enforcement or in who's studied criminology in school
1: criminology so
0: yeah. it just it just to me the, that combination that that triumvirate there of math journalism and de- and detective crim- you know criminology just it it's a weird combination
1: I could be wrong on this here in order for example here in order to be a police officer you have to go to the police college mm-hmm. you don't actually have to have any degree as far as I'm aware to get into police college. You get into the college and then you are trained. Right. Um, that being said, I don't know how it, things obviously might differ, but for me, Laura is a contradiction. She's, we've seen and we'll see that she is a mixture of practicality and impulse. We've seen it with her driving. We've seen it with the fact that she, Failed at her own agency, and then said, Well, screw it i'm going to open up an agency and and trick everybody and lie about who my my quote unquote boss is she's She comes across as being very straight laced but there is a simmering kind of impulsive and very almost reckless human being underneath and i whether it was just she saw a sign that he was giving a lecture, whether she watched him giving his newscasts on TV, whatever station he happened to be on before he ended up on spotlight news. I just think that she recognized somebody who wanted the truth of things. And that was some, that's somebody that's who she is at the core of her. And okay, yeah. And that
0: parallels with being I an think. investigator. <laughs> you're, you're trying to find the truth so I, I can see a yeah. parallel there. Yeah. It's just one of those right turns
1: it's it's an odd it, it is but i love just when she sees elliot and she says all because of batman and there's so much reverence in her voice and there's just she looks and we see this balding aging and jd cannon is amazing i love him but he's just kind of slumped over and he just looks tired and she doesn't see that she sees this gloriously brilliant man who she admired and looked up to and who kind of helped shape who she is. Mm -hmm. And I just really love the way that Stephanie Zimblis delivers that line and how she sees him when nobody, and steals like that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. She still (laughs) sees him through the haze of hero worship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And of course the episode dismantles that, but even after it does, it does so very kindly. So it just, I love this episode. (laughs) I love this one. So great.
0: So anyway, in the scene, we get a little bit of information uh, dropped on us here. We learn that Elliot Walsh wears a toupee. Seemingly inconsequential data drop, but it's there. Uh, We meet Amy Fogelson, who is the assistant to Russell Stewart, the investigative reporter who is going to be doing the... Stewart's going to be doing the interview with Raymond Steele. Amy Fogelson is doing the preliminary interview. and so we meet them. Interestingly enough, in Judith's book, she's listed as Amy Colbert, not Amy huh. Fogelson. So interesting. And then uh, later, when Amy Fogelson is revealed to be Agnes Fowling in the script, yeah. the name is given as Agnes Fowler.
1: I did notice that. So yeah.
0: yeah, obviously some discrepancies between the various sources. Uh, d- I'm I'm sure due to rewrites and and other issues, but uh, she's
1: also, she's also described as being very like younger. And I don't know if, uh, and and no, obviously no disrespect to the actress they got to play Amy Fogelson, whose name is escaping me at the moment. She's wonderful, mm-hmm. but she's not young. She's, I would say late thirties, early forties ish. Like that's not exactly a, a kid. Yeah. And they keep referring, in fact, they they call her a kid twice. I think um Elliot calls her a kid and Ed Green says, Did the kid buy it? And I'm like, did they hire her after and just not change the script? Because <laughs> she's she's not a kid. She's well a woman. She's an <laughs> older
0: <laughs> Well with Elliot, you can kinda understand it because there is a tendency for
1: Yeah, he's older older
0: people yeah. to call somebody younger than them kid. And I, sure. I think we've even had this little conversation before, so that one is understandable. Ed Green, yeah, that one's a little harder to explain, other than the fact that he's the boss and she is a subordinate. And sometimes bosses refer to subordinates, especially if they're assistants to somebody, and or women. <laughs> well, okay, I don't feel okay, like he would refer I mean, to
1: male employees as the kid. I,
0: you know, I maybe he wouldn't have. I wouldn't be surprised to see some younger male person called a kid by a a supervisor.
1: Fair. I'm just saying Ed Green has a, I mean, he slept with two of his anchor women. Well, that's. Um, So he's not exactly a a paragon of moral virtue. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Yes. Anyway, we'll leave that there for the time being. Uh, So then after we meet these people, Amy leaves Laura and Steele alone at which time Laura reminds Steele we're here as a cover story. Be careful. And he says, ah, I could take care of it.
1: Well, she's pumping me. I'll be pumping her.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just leave that one there too.
1: Uh, yep. That one will stay right where it is.
0: <laughs> now, a short time later, Ed Green comes up and he's talking to them and he really does provide a good reason why they should have, as we discussed a few minutes ago, just have chosen a different cover story because he says, I hope Steele doesn't have any skeletons in his closet because Russell loves to rattle them for all the world to see. So yeah, like you said, maybe they should have picked somebody other than an investigative reporter.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> that might've been a good plan. Or at least <laughs> laid down
0: a set of ground rules.
1: Yeah, right. Like, Have Ed Green basically go to Russell, because it's clear that he has no idea that Amy's the one Mm -hmm. basically behind Russell. But have him go in there and say, okay, this is a very special guest. We're going to be gentle with our interview. We're not going to ask too many probing questions. Just go with it.
0: (laughs) So Ed Green, as part of this conversation, does mention uh, what we talked about earlier about the problems that they've had. He thought they were just routine foul-ups with the teleprompter, having nursery rhymes, wrong film basketball scores reversed, wrong temperatures. And he asked if they know about Nielsen and Arbitron. And I don't know if you guys have those up there or not, if that's something that we, is similar. We do.
1: We have Nielsen. Okay. I'm not sure about Arbitron, but we definitely have, have Nielsen. And it's actually a subsidiary, like part of the same branch. So it's a way of kind of, I guess, finding out what people are watching in other countries. Yeah. I was frankly surprised they care about Canada, but hey, you know
0: <laughs> well, they they don't have Arbitron anymore, and neither do we because in 2013, Nielsen ah. bought them. But yeah, at that time okay. they were competing companies yeah. that did station popularity uh, viewership reports. yeah, so yeah, they were out there, and, and I, I don't know if you've got any information about how they operate. I don't know how they operate now, but I know that back in this time frame. And I know this because my my family got selected, and I did the I did the record keeping on it. The box, yeah. <laughs> they sent you a book, and you just marked off. Oh, we watched this show. We watched this show for a half hour, an hour, whatever. So it wasn't really, despite their pretense of being scientific, it really wasn't all that scientific because let's say that you weren't, well, you could have lied. Well, exactly. Well, we normally watch this show, but we weren't at home tonight because we had some event going on at the school or whatnot. So we'll just pencil whip it.
1: Or, or, you know, it's it, it, maybe you're watching Dallas or dynasty, but you want to sound smarter. So you put down <laughs> something else, right? Like <laughs> I thought it was, here's what I thought it was. Cause this is what I'd read. And I, I mean, we never had a, We weren't selected or whatever it was, but I thought they gave you a box that sort of like it was an electronic box that monitored what your what your channels were. and like what you were watching. And
0: that may have been part of their evolution. Yes. But the time we were involved in it and I don't remember when this was. This would have been back. Oh, I don't know. Mid 70s, maybe. Yeah, we we got a book in the mail and we just filled it out.
1: Huh. So So basically they gave you homework. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's it's interesting because I I never I mean, like I said, it it was here, but it wasn't as I mean I was never selected. We were never, and I don't think they do it that way anymore, if at all. I don't know if the with streaming it would be hard to monitor. I would think.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I
1: mean, regular cable,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you could do it there, but
0: it's funny because. Here recently, within the last month, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but I believe it was from Nielsen, and it was it was again it was a paper form that I filled out and I just marked on and I sent it back in and they sent me five dollars as a thank you. I I mean, it was it wasn't very long. It was just a (laughs) like a single sheet, so it didn't take a whole lot of time and uh, such. But yeah, again, it was just a fill out a form type thing. So they may have electronic devices that they've hooked up to various things and not, I don't know, but yeah, all my encounters with them have been, oh yeah, let's just fill out this form the way we want to. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I want to, I want us to look like we're real smart. We're a really smart TV watching household. We are totally not watching the back. That's
2: right.
1: (laughs) I have a question. Wouldn't Laura know about because she's he says, have you heard of the ratings and or Nielsen Arbitron? She says, I've heard of them, but he made it sound like this wouldn't be common knowledge. And I feel like it would. Maybe not Nielsen and how they function, but at least I feel like people would know that TV ratings are what shows need to stay on the air.
0: Well, nowadays that's absolutely true. Back then, it might have been a little less Known, I, I think there's probably certain okay. segments of the population that were more aware of it because of their proximity to the television and movie industry, but
1: right, maybe
0: maybe not everybody. And so, him being in the industry, her not being in the industry, he just presumed that maybe she, even if she had heard of them, she didn't know the details of, you know, not not even the the down and dirty details, but just the the general details of. What they were, why they existed, and what they did. But yeah, he says they are
1: their God. Yeah, he says their ratings
0: (laughs) were poor. Uh, They jazzed up their news, gave it the happy news format, says the public ate it up, their ratings doubled. (laughs) And the whole issue about the Arbitron and Nielsen and why he suspected sabotage was because, as he put it, television is cutthroat business, dog eat dog. A fierce competition for the advertising dollar, and for every rating point you get, another station loses one. So yeah, if they have doubled their ratings and they are now the top station in the market, yeah, you can understand why you might think that somebody's out to get them.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But he doesn't want the news to get out. He says if this gets out, we'll be the laughing stock of the television community. That one, I I wondered about that line because if somebody else is trying to sabotage them, if a competitor is trying to sabotage them, wouldn't that give them a great news story? How would that? You would think. How would that be? <laughs> how would that make them a laughing stock in the television community? I would think that that's a great PR thing. We're, For sure, we're so important, we are so high in the ratings, so many <laughs> people watch us that our competition is trying to sabotage us. That's how good we are.
1: It's one of those things that maybe that's that's how they would approach it now. Because now any it's it's almost like anybody in the spotlight for any reason is good enough. Well, publicity is good publicity, but maybe back then it would have been. Maybe they were holding on to whatever thread of integrity they felt was left <laughs> with the news, and so therefore, obviously, not much of a thread, but a tiny thread. <laughs> uh, so trying to appear. More professional, if they're being sabotaged, then it, it makes them look, well, they're a news station. They should be able to figure this out, right?
0: Yeah, but, you know, I would think that that would be a, a fantastic PR tool.
1: Yeah, it would be. I mean, definitely they would work it now. That angle would be worked to death now, oh, yeah. for sure.
0: And I believe at this time, you know, in the time uh, in the past in the U.S., you could not mention a competitor. But I believe at this time you could. So, for example, a uh, toothpaste brand could not mention a competing toothpaste yes. brand. They could they could say brand X and brand Y, but Crest couldn't say Aquafresh. I have a fun story. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they they couldn't previously, but I think at this time they could have. So they could have said, yeah, especially if they find out, they could use this as very strategic tool against that competitor.
1: Actually. I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually. Do you know what the first commercial to name a competitor was and when?
0: I just. I was as I was doing some research on this episode. I happened to run across <laughs> that. That was Burger King mentioned McDonald's. Yes. And who was the yep. actress?
1: It was Sarah Michelle Gellar yeah, from Buffy the Vampire that's right. Slayer, and
0: she got sued. And the ad
1: was in 19. 19- she did. She was banned from McDonald's. And But the ad was in 1981, so they okay. were mentioning competitors okay. at this point. <laughs> and I mean,
0: come on. She's just an actress reading the lines. She's God, five, you don't she sue five. her. <laughs> I, I
1: mean, she was five.
0: <laughs> now, this, is, this story is an example of a PR person who is an idiot and doesn't know yes, their absolutely. job. Because, yep. I'm sorry, the, the old saying that any publicity is good publicity, including bad publicity. No, uh uh, mm mm. You do. N- no,
1: I agree. I agree, but that was kind of the prevailing theory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a really dumb move on McDonald's part.
1: Yes, it was. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it was really stupid. <laughs> Can I point out as well yes. when Chrissy begins her newscast, she mentions that there's a palace spokesperson denying rumors that Princess Di was pregnant again. Mm-hmm. I did the math. This was 1983. Prince Harry's birthday is September 15th, 1984. She would have had to have been somewhat like six months pregnant by this point, I think ish. If I'm doing the math, right? So that's
2: rather
1: mm, yeah, funny. I wonder no. if they knew that or <laughs> if it was, um,
0: well, his birthday was in 1984. This was Mar-
1: September 15th. Yeah. Okay.
0: So this was March of 83. So that's, I mean, that's a year and a half. So. Yeah, she okay. She wouldn't have yeah, been. Yeah, my
1: math sucks. <laughs> I didn't get the math scholarship. Yeah. But it it, it is a.
0: But yeah, it's timely. I, I guess
1: it's it, funny that they mention it because she would have gotten pregnant very soon mm-hmm. after. I
0: and up. I imagine that at that time there would have been <laughs> a lot of speculation about that sort of thing. True. But.
1: A bun in the royal Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, you know, it's interesting that as the newscast is getting ready to get started, the cast is getting ready to run out to their set, and Ed Green tries to jazz them up by saying, Energy, people! Energy! Energy! Remember, we love our work, and we love each other. We're happy, and we yeah, show it. We... This reminds me of, oof, you, you know those motivational posters?
1: Yeah. <laughs> hang on, Hang in there with the cat hanging on the thing. In my experience, if your boss has to remind you to be happy, you're probably miserable. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, like
0: (laughs) anytime I think of those motivational posters, my thoughts automatically go to a website that I've known about for decades called despair.com.
1: Oh, I got to check this out. I've never been to despair.
0: Their slogan is motivational products don't work, but our demotivator products don't work even better.
1: Oh, my. Okay. I'm going right now and having a look.
0: For example, they they, they do these posters and they are, they call them demotivators. (gasps) And it's customer service because we're not satisfied until you're not satisfied.
1: I love this. The first one I see says collaborate and it's got a frog on top of a turtle and then it says so the best of us have to carry the rest of us. Yes.
0: Or <laughs> stupidity. I
1: put those up in my classroom.
0: Stupidity. Quitters <laughs> never win. Winners never quit. But those who never win and never quit are idiots.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or apathy. This is
1: good. I like this. Apathy.
0: If we don't take care of the customer, <laughs> maybe they'll stop bugging us.
1: Oh, this is good.
0: Uh, I have known about this website (laughs) for years. I'm
1: looking at some of these. Uh, um, I'm looking at some of these, and these are great. In the
0: early days, (laughs) their website was a lot funnier than it is now. I remember, you know know, the little smiley faces. They had a frowny face, and occasionally they would send out emails or things. and, And at one time, they posted something about, if you ordered a frowny face from us, please be patient. We have one lady in the back room Typing these out on a typewriter. And another time they did an announcement, uh, it, you know, the quarterly announcements of, of hey, our, customer, our company's doing great. We made these profits. Well, they did that. And they said something to the effect that, obviously, our increase in business and our, our profit margins going up is a bad thing. So in order to I- increase employee dissatisfaction, we're just going to randomly fire 25% of our people. <laughs> This and is so a the
1: beatings will continue until morale improves. Yes.
0: <laughs> that is the whole the whole concept behind this love website. It. So it is love a it. great website. But <laughs> yeah, when I when I hear him, Ed Green, we're happy, we love each other, we love our work. And it's like, this is what I think of. This is where my mind goes.
1: Do you though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I I love this. It's a great website now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So anyway, we get into the newscast, um, and we have inane, non-stories like you mentioned. The rumor is Princess Diana pregnant again, and
1: all of Elizabeth Taylor's last names.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know the the whole cast of this news team is just. I mean, it's it's horrible. Chrissy Carstairs, which we already talked about, is bubble headed, bleach blonde. Yeah. Hoop Tracy, hoop Tracy. What is with silly nicknames for sports reporters? I I don't. I, I don't.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uncle Tim. <laughs> no.
0: Uncle Tim. I and
1: his real name. His uncle. <laughs> <laughs> he changed it legally. That's my favorite thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so in, anyway, we're introduced to all these characters here, and it's a really, it's a a, a good, clever way to introduce them all. Got to give him credit for that. Do you know
1: how the script describes Oh, them? I
0: didn't look at that.
1: Okay, you got to hear these because okay. some of them are pretty. Elliot and Chrissy some seat themselves at the anchors' chairs with precisely groomed toupee and enviably flat stomach. He looks a good 10 years younger because he's wearing, I guess, a corset. She's barely 30 with flawless features, large, bright, if somewhat vacant eyes, and a figure that would melt the polar ice cap. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see. Uncle Tim, uh, now dressed in a yellow rain slicker and waiting boots, it's hard to tell whether the goofy 50-year-old is a Disney character or a major sex offender. (laughs) (laughs) Can't make that up. Can't make that up. (laughs) Oh,
0: (laughs) years ago, years ago, there was a, a mayor in Portland, Oregon, Bud Clark. He had owned a tavern, and he ran for mayor. And prior to running to mayor, he had put out a poster and I I wish I could remember what the, the, the gag was, but it was him in a raincoat from the back holding it. It it was, I wish I could remember the gag. It was, it was funny. Um, Expose yourself to art or something like that. I I don't, I don't remember what it was, (laughs) but it was, it was funny, but as a mayor, he wasn't very funny. Uh, It, It was, yeah, it was about as funny as you would expect. But anyway, and, I digress.
1: Yeah, that's Uncle Tim's description. And I got to say, after reading that, I could not. that <laughs> unsee I it. couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> I couldn't unsee it once it was seen. So, yeah, I had to <laughs> give that to everybody else. Here's my gift to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, as the, as the news team is there and they're pretending to do the news, an overhead light <laughs> falls and nearly bonks Russell Stewart on the head. Then we jump to the offices of the Remington Steel Agency, and Murphy is telling everybody that the safety clamp on the lamp was sheared. And okay. Steel, during the course of the conversation, seems to discount the likelihood that a competing station would resort to such a thing. And Murphy kind of goes along with that, it seems like. He says, well, if it wasn't sabotaged to discredit news, Spotlight News and drive viewers away from the channel then maybe whoever it was occupying that chair was the target. Going back to, oh, I can't think of the episode named Peplers. We we have Remington St- Oh, Hearts of Steel. Hearts of Steel. We have Remington Steel coming up with another line that is just, he doesn't attribute it to Murphy, but it almost feels like he's trying to. First, we have the female jock strap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Jocks, they're called jocks. That's
0: right. <laughs> Let's see. And then Laura says, uh, "Laura says, well, but then Uncle Tim took took th- that place, and Stewart was about to yeah. take that spot when the light fell. So who whoever it was. And this is where Bernice says the line that you referenced earlier. <laughs> yeah. The news is very depressing these days, and Russell Stewart is hot to look at. I say, if you're going to get depressed, you might as well get turned on doing it.
1: <laughs> okay, so here's where I'm going to call bullshit. Pardon. Oh, am I allowed to say that? I just did. So. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'm going to call bullcrap, okay um i I feel like the show keeps presenting us with these men uh-huh. and telling us that these men are extremely attractive, and I don't and this i don't I, I'm not saying this is personal preference, it's more that I'm seeing very bland interchangeable men that they are presenting as as being these, look to the last episode, right? Um, Teddy, who was billed as being kind of a himbo, right? Really hot, but not that bright. I, I, I'm seeing a bunch of doughy white guys who kind of all look the same and not seeing the appeal. And I don't know if it's because we're supposed to contrast them with Steele or Murphy, but I feel like they've picked like women that are noticeably very attractive. Chrissy Carstairs is a good looking woman. Mm. I, I, I mean, it's one of the, I, maybe not something that would appeal to everybody, but she, she's, she's like she about she four like pounds of
0: frosting. You could only get a few yeah. bites in. Well,
1: that's, I don't see any frosting in these dudes. Well, I just see yeah. ordinary looking dudes. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> like, I, I think you you might have anyway. a, a <laughs> I think you might be onto something when you say they don't want to have somebody there to compete with Steele and Murphy. Yeah,
1: but Murphy, by, James Reed is a good looking man. Yeah,
0: but by the same token, <laughs> you know, they've got, well, I, mm, how to, how to, how to put this. They've got these women who are, I'm gonna say not necessarily really attractive in in my judgment, but they are very pretty. And yes, they do yes. tend to outshine Stephanie in terms of their appearance because they are all you know, they're flash. They're
1: they're, they're yeah, they're gonna completely flash. Yeah. Uh,
0: they're yeah. they're a bit more like flash paper. It's a quick flash and then okay, it's it's over, done. I'm th- I'm through with that. Uh, They're not like a a light bulb where it's maybe not as bright, but it lasts longer. But yeah, it does seem that there's kind of a, if, if this is the theory we're going to attribute to the choice of the male actors, there does seem to be an inconsistency there. They don't mind overshadowing Stephanie with these beautiful women, but let's not over, you know, overshadow Pierce and James. I don't know.
1: I think more so with the with the female characters that have been on the show, it's not I don't even think it's so much to overshadow Stephanie as it is to contrast these women versus Laura. Laura being beautiful, she's stunning, but doesn't need all the makeup and enhancements and everything else to look beautiful and stunning. Whereas all of these other women are supposedly the type of women that Steele is normally attracted to.
0: And all they are the is makeup, is and enhancements.
1: The, yeah, they're just... Yeah, and they may make comments about that throughout the episode with Chrissy. So, mm-hmm. anyway, just <laughs> kind of popped into my head. That and and the fact that Laura's laying on the desk, which is weird. <laughs> um, it's not quite couch watch, but it, does no one use chairs? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> What's wrong with their chairs?
0: Well, she, it, I guess... She's not really laying on the desk. She's she was sitting on it and she stretched out and lay laying over, writing on the notepad. But no, I I, I get your point. Yeah, it's gotta be pretty uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> it does not look comfortable at all. No. It it looks very awkward. <laughs> She'd have probably
0: been better off on the floor. So
1: Yeah. Like, everybody likes the floor. That's where she and Steele ended up in Hearts of Steel. So
0: mm-hmm. So, anyways, this conversation's going on. Steel suggests that they split up. Yeah. <laughs> and that each Interrogate one of the possible targets to see if there might be something to Murphy's theory, and Laura tells Steele to steer clear of Russell Stewart. Well, wrong person to steer clear of, but that's who she tells him. (laughs) That's who she warns him off of, because obviously she doesn't want Stewart asking Steele any embarrassing questions. And Steele arrogantly says, "Not a problem." And avoiding embarrassing questions is child's play for a seasoned seasoned. (laughs) (laughs) provocateur. Yeah, that word. Uh, prevaricator. <laughs> that word. <laughs> First season, prevaricator. I'm sorry. My, my tongue got wrapped around my eye teeth and I couldn't see what I was saying. <laughs> so, Steele ends up assigned to Hoops Tracy. And Murphy definitely is not happy about being stuck with Uncle Tim. Oh,
1: poor Murphy. Why do I always get
0: the weirdos? <laughs> <It's> the weirdos. <laughs> and Steel, perhaps because you relate to them so well, Murphy. <laughs>
1: I love these two in this episode. This is, again, one of a really good, that has such good interactions between Steele and Murphy. And again, I go back to my theory of that they're at their best when they're playing off each other and not talking about Laura. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Although in this one, as usual, or as, as is very often the case steel gets the upper hand but anyway we'll get to that he does uh, murphy walks in on oh, uncle murphy. tim who is playing with a pellet rifle and this is where he <laughs> murphy calls him tim and he said uncle. and he says my name's uncle last you know first name is uncle last name's tim had illegally changed so you can call me mr tim
1: <laughs> mr tim uh, oh. yeah definitely gets the weirdos <laughs>
0: no I, You know, I understand people using pseudonyms, fake names, stage names. I, I mean, it's done in TV and radio yeah. all the time. I've heard some really bizarre names. For example, up here we have a area called the Matanuska Valley. And one of the local radio stations had a DJ who was using the name Matt Valley. It's... Uh, you know, it's an obvious play on, on that. And of course, remember WKRP, Johnny Fever. Yeah. He had what, six different names prior to being yeah. Johnny Fever, but I've never, I can't imagine somebody having their name legally changed to something <laughs> as, as insane as uncle Tim. Hi, my, uncle my name's Tim. uncle. Yeah. I, oh, you're the man from uncle. No, I no. My name is uncle.
1: No, I'm uncle. Uncle Tim. I
0: mean,
1: what does <laughs> you yeah, say agree. about him? It's he's. Well, he's not all there. He's definitely not playing with a full deck, as we see throughout what little is he's in of the episode. Yeah, he's a weird. He's a weird one. Murphy does get the weirdos. Well, <laughs> in this case, weirdos. he
0: definitely did. Yes. Yeah, and so Murphy tries to give him to talk, and he says he's with the insurance company. He points out that it was a close call, and. Is there anybody who might have wanted to see him under the light when it fell? And Tim points the gun, Tim, uncle points the gun at Murphy and pushes him out <laughs> of the say, room Mr. with it. Tim. says, nobody wants to kill me. And if they did, I know exactly who it is. That's, yes, not so. Also,
1: Murphy's not exactly keeping things quiet by coming straight in and saying, I'm with the insurance company. Does anyone want to kill you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Way to be subtle there, Murph. Yeah. Like.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's an obvious question, I guess, you know, particularly, I'm sure that at this point, the information that the light clamp had been shared was probably if it wasn't common knowledge, it was probably already going through the station. But right. Yeah, I mean, that's probably not the best approach to take with somebody like this. I mean, I wouldn't let this guy near me with a butter no. knife. He's
1: right. <laughs> he's nuts. <laughs> he... yeah.
0: So next we see <laughs> steel. He's at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum and he's meeting Hoop's Tracy outside the locker room of the local football team. And I like this little exchange. I must say, you have an excellent stride, Miss Hoop. Yeah. <laughs> I was a power forward on my college basketball team. I've always enjoyed motorized sports.
1: Motorized sports. Yeah. <laughs> now, oh, yeah, that was a good one.
0: Except that didn't we have an episode previously where. He and Murphy were talking, and Murphy said something about how he likes going out and shooting hoops. And Steele says something to the effect that I've never shot a hoop. Are they a very large bird?
1: Yeah. Are they hard to? Yeah. So he clearly doesn't, still doesn't know anything about basketball. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but now he thinks it's he a motorized sport as to. opposed to something you go hunt.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's improving. He's getting closer.
0: I suppose. He's getting there.
1: <laughs> so, Working on it.
0: So. They go inside the locker room and I've gotta say she seems a little less interested in getting a story than Yeah. Being, that's what I thought too. I, I I used I wrote down obnoxious. Um boy, she's demeaning yeah. of the players and the staff. She's she's abusing her position all she can. It seems to me she's got a really, really big chip on her shoulder, all going back to when She got stuck outside and wasn't allowed into the locker room and was basically ignored. And now she's just, revenge, revenge, revenge.
1: So Mm. here's my question, though. Was it common Mm -hmm. for... I mean, we don't do that here. Is it common for reporters to actually go in the locker room? Because anytime I watch a hockey game and they interview you know, someone between periods, it's always outside the locker room. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever seen an in-the-locker-room interview with any of the players. That that just struck me as odd because they would be in a straight of state of undress.
0: Well, I, I think...
1: Walking in with a camera.
0: I think that was part of the issue <laughs> that Hoops Tracy had. It was because...
1: Well, yeah.
0: I do seem to recall that sports writers did do interviews in the locker room, I would presume that they were held out for a period of time to give the players a chance to get dressed, okay. yeah, you know, that makes or sense. they may have been allowed in while the players were first coming in and then shoot out so the players could take their showers and such. Uh, I, I've seen, I don't watch a lot of sports, but I've seen video of interviews of players that did uh, seem to take place in the locker room. But yeah, it, w- it would definitely be a problem. They would definitely have to have some controls on it.
1: Well, you couldn't just walk in there with a camera, which is what she does. She mm-hmm. walks in there with her cameraman behind her. Well, and I would think.
0: <laughs> I, I think they says, do. I, I think they're
1: little tushes. Fly. I,
0: I think they did. Now, they may not do that anymore, but I do know I have seen video. You can probably find them on YouTubes and such of interviews of players that are done on camera in the locker rooms. So I, I don't know how common it was. And how long that sort of thing lasted, but there was some, yeah.
1: To go back to your comment on what she, you're right. She seems aggressive, almost angry. And I don't know if it's just because she had to wait outside. I think it's probably a combination of that. Plus the fact that she admits later on that she had to sleep with Ed Green just to get the sports assignment that women were typically not allowed or not welcome doing things like sports reporting. She's probably had to overcome a lot of, and and again, that doesn't excuse her behavior. She doesn't do her job here. She goes in there and basically just humiliates these guys, but doesn't actually get anything she can use for any sort of story. Mm -hmm. But I get the impression that the chip that she's got on her shoulder is more to do with overall her treatment in the industry not just one specific thing of I'm not allowed in the locker room. She got a She went so far as to get a court order. I mean, that's yeah. I I think it's more to do with other reporters wouldn't necessarily have to sleep with the boss to get the job. Right. It's well, casting couch. Well, I don't know. We we
0: find out later that Chris, that's, that's what Chrissy did to get That's what
1: Russell's trying to do. Yeah. You know, well, that's what I mean though. Chrissy hoop, but, not necessarily any of the the male reports. Oh, okay. Elliot's there, and he's he's an aging. And granted, they're preparing to kind of get rid of him, but his reputation still carries weight, even if they are putting him in corset and uh, and toupee. So, I think it's more just that whole casting couch mentality of I have to be attractive, I have to be hot, I have to be visually appealing, I have to be this, be that. Whereas she doesn't that's fit not into that mold. The case for. Exactly. And and that's what happens with Amy when she tries to fill in for Uncle Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got a, a behind-the-scenes kind of face. Yes. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so anyway, so after Hoops has thoroughly antagonized all the players, she and yeah. Steele have a little bit of a, a final back and forth. And it seems to me that she's trying yeah. to hit on him.
1: <laughs> I like you, Limey. You're kind of novel. Want to hoist some brewskis <laughs> with me after the show? It's like- <laughs> Great, great line. And
0: he seems to be a little, <laughs> little uncomfortable with that. Is, is it just because he's not used to that approach or is it something about her personally? I wonder. I, I don't know.
1: I think he's out of his depth. He has no idea what she's saying.
0: Well, that could be too yeah
1: <laughs> she's that could be she's taking him when he ends up in this bar with peanuts on the floor and they're they're <laughs> and I don't think that he's necessarily opposed to drinking beer, but it's clear that he's drinking something that's probably like watered down pea like a bud light or something <laughs> and uh you know anything just, from it, bud was, he's was. Out, he's out of his element he's not that's not what he's used to he's used to fancy French restaurants and Name plates that he gives yes. out, which we don't still know where they come from, but like that's.
0: And he's apparently run out of.
1: And motorized sports. Like this woman is nothing.
0: That's, that's abo-
1: true. There's nothing about her that is familiar to him. So he doesn't know how to navigate it. And that's what I kind of think it is. Okay.
0: All right. Well, next we jump to Laura and Russell Stewart in a car. And he's telling yeah. her that he is convinced it was meant for him. And not just who might be ever standing under the light at the time. And he said, "I've helped put several prison in prison whole frauds, charlatans, conmen's." And that line
1: oh, repeats itself. Yeah,
0: yes. I'm going to say, stick a pin in it because it comes up again. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: but it, it's it seems a bit presumptuous and almost egotistical on his part to just assume it was meant specifically for him. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. So
1: he's all ego though. Yes.
0: He is. Uh he's he's almost in some ways <laughs> the male counterpart to Chrissy. Uh, other than the fact that he didn't Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he didn't sleep his way to the top.
1: He kind of is though later on. He's trying to get Chrissy to take him with or to to get him into Ed Green's spot. Yeah.
0: And so yeah, he is he is doing that. But
1: by pounding the tension from her butt. Yes. <laughs> but
0: but obviously in in other ways he's kind of the male counterpart to Chrissy as well because he doesn't do any of yeah. the work he's he's just a talking head no. repeating the questions that he's fed by yep. Amy Fogelson and the research that she's done so yeah he's he's as much an airhead he probably he does a better job of hiding it he's as much an airhead as, as yeah. Chrissy is Laura starts to express some concern <laughs> about his attitude being nonchalant and courageous and I I,
2: I, I'm almost (laughs)
0: thinking she's being sarcastic when she says that and of course he says well I'm a courageous guy hey baby let's
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just like that was a heavy eye roll watching that (laughs) whole exchange (laughs) (laughs) but
0: you know she's up to the challenge of Stuart but there seems to be some part of her that's you know, it's almost like, okay, how do I respond to this without – because she's obviously in a position where she can't totally alienate him because he's yeah part of an investigation, whether he's a suspect, a potential victim, or whatnot. She's got to keep that relationship working. And to me, there seems like there's almost this level of, okay, I, I obviously he's full of it, but how do I deal with this without totally ruining the situation?
1: I 100% agree, but interestingly enough, that's all in Stephanie's performance mm-hmm. because yeah. the direction here says she laughs, intrigued by this cool, handsome, debonair crusader for truth and justice.
0: So not, no intrigue. She, I'm sorry, no intrigue, which yeah, I think is a good choice there. on Stephanie's part.
1: <laughs> Survey says not the case. Like it just <laughs> does not compute in her performance at all. Her performance mm-hmm. is the opposite; that she sees through him. And is like you said, I got to keep him on the hook, but I don't want to, I mean, I'm not going to date this guy, this guy's (laughs) an idiot, right? So there's, (laughs) there's definitely that kind of, she's threading the needle. She's definitely threading that needle. And and
0: yeah, it was a a good performance on her part, as you say.
1: It's great. Later, we're in the (laughs) studio,
0: tensions are running high because they just are. But it's also enhanced by the fact that Uncle Tim is missing, and Ed says, yeah. "Well, if they can't find him or he doesn't show up, somebody's going to have to do the weather." Twitch. Why? <laughs> yeah, Elliot's sarcastic remark. <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's a nice little touch there. <laughs> and Green approaches.
1: It is. It's great. JD Cannon, I worship. <laughs> he so does good. a great
0: job in this episode. He really does.
1: It, it's. Oh, he's so fantastic. He he shows up again, and I can't remember the episode he's in again. But he does appear in a different role later on. But he's just so good here. It's oh yes, that's it. That's it. Yes, I was trying to remember what it was. Le Renard. Yeah. yeah. He's just so good here. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> so anyway, Ed goes up to Hoops and says, uh, Hoops, you used to do the weather. What about filling for, in for Uncle Tim? And her, her response is, they don't have weather girls anymore, Ed. It's considered sexist. And it's like, w- w- wait a second. He didn't go to you and say. I feel like
1: they did, though.
0: Huh?
1: I feel like they did have weather girls still. Well. I don't think they did away with weather girls and. 1983 they
0: had people doing weather <laughs> Just, some of them were men some of them yeah them were women. yeah i feel like there's, you know exactly and he didn't <laughs> exactly. go to her and say well hoops you're a female why don't you do the weather no he went to her and said look you've got experience doing this
1: yeah yeah she was she had done it before yeah. it wasn't you're right it was, so
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's like wow attitude much lady you know, and, and I'm
1: wondering if maybe she felt that by if she did it, that she'd get demoted back to doing it, that if she well, filled in this one time, she might lose what little gains she had made because that she had to sleep with Ed to get the sports assignment. <laughs> it, it, you know, wasn't something she got on merit, <laughs> like she accuses Chrissy of later on. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Pam at the Michael Scott Paper Company. Remember that? If I go back to answering the phone, I'm back to being a receptionist. Yeah, I'm
1: back to being, (laughs) exactly. So So I wonder if she was afraid that that could be her fate if she fills in once.
0: Okay, yeah. So I I can buy that. Now, having just defended Ed, I'm going to throw him under the bus.
1: (laughs) Because. (laughs) Because. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Next, (sighs) like you said, Amy
0: (laughs) steps up and says, look, I'll fill in. And, And this is where he said, sorry, kid, you've got a face. Yeah, you've got a behind-the-scenes face.
1: Behind-the-scenes kind of face.
0: Which is actually, that line, I, I don't know if that line specifically has was commonly used in television, but a variation of that line I am familiar with goes back to...
1: Face for radio. That's right. right.
0: Yeah, face for radio. Yeah. So, there's some history to this line, at least. It doesn't mean that it was appropriate to be said. He, I mean, he could have turned her no. down in another way. You know, especially if if she's never done that before, and is not used to being on well, camera. Well, we know
1: she has. We I don't know if she was ever on camera, but she definitely has worked in the news, which we find out later. Which right. I don't know how much but of that she's history never, he knows.
0: Yeah, but on camera is a different thing. True. You know, yes. People get on camera yeah. and they think, well, it's just it's just a camera. But then they get on there, and that that big red light on top of it is is glowing yeah. and they see the lens looking at them and it suddenly runs through their brain that thousands of people are watching them. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, <laughs> the, the weather, you know? So, so, I mean,
1: but all he had to do was step on a button though.
0: <laughs> right. But they still had to be able to talk. And that's the thing is that people get on yeah. camera and they do have stage fright. And if she's never been on camera, you could use that as a reason to say, look, at some point, let, we'll go ahead and get you trained so you can do this, but you've never been on camera before. This is not a good time to try this as an
1: experiment. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been a much better response. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> then he goes one step further and tells Chrissy that she's going to have to fill in for Uncle Tim. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, mm, maybe he did pick her because she's the woman and she's good looking. Yeah. And
1: she's pretty. Yeah. And hey, who doesn't want to see waterfall on top of her? Oh, I got to say.
0: I never thought about that, but you're right. Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Out of my brain. Out of my brain. (laughs) Sorry. Would that not ruin their carpeting as well to constantly have water splashing down on it? I would think that would be. It's carpet. I noticed it's carpet.
0: Yeah. Well, get moldy and yeah. but
1: <laughs> yeah it wouldn't smell great i don't think
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no and you're right uh dropping water on a woman like that would probably be a bit too much for tv at that time
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know and my other thought was that surely there's somebody else that he could have brought in to do it and in, f- in fact later we do see that he brings somebody else in to replace uncle tim yeah so may okay maybe they were short on time they didn't have time to go grab anybody else but he had time to, I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument. Okay, you're not going to have Russell uh, do it because he's the investigative reporter. You're not going to have Elliot do it because he's the anchor. But then you kind of destroy that argument when you say, well, but Chrissy's the second anchor.
1: She's the co-anchor. Yeah.
0: So. Um, and yeah. He,
1: yeah, he literally only asks the, the quote unquote, who Hoop, Hoop Tracy might not be attractive in the same way that Chrissy is, mm-hmm. but she is She's still. She's not ugly. She's not ugly. She's, she's pleasing to the eye. Whereas he says to Agnes, you've got a behind the scenes kind of face indicating that she is not uh, attractive enough Mm -hmm. to be on camera. Yeah. So it's definitely a double standard.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so he he grabs Chrissy and he walks her over and, and as you say, he's teaching her how to use the rain button. You push the button button. with your foot. (laughs) I'll talk really slow for (laughs) you, Chrissy. And then when he does, of course. She
1: might need the training.
0: (laughs) Remedial training on button pushing. But when he pushes the button, (laughs) Uncle Tim drops from the ceiling. Dead.
1: Poor Uncle Tim.
0: Yeah. Well, next we see Murphy examining the body (laughs) and says it looks like a blow to the back of the head. And Ed loudly proclaims, It
1: was just an accident, <laughs> folks. Happens every day. just an accident. <laughs> it's like he was checking his water trough.
0: <laughs> does he really believe that? And or is he just fell. trying to convince everybody else?
1: Literally, you just said word for word what my, what I, it was in my notes <laughs> for me. And that's
0: what I've got in my notes. That's why I said it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe he, Chrissy's maybe not. Not the only one who's not that bright yeah.
0: I, I mean, to me, the way he said it it's 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 almost like he's trying to convince everybody that, that it was an accident it's it's pretense it's yeah,
1: he definitely is
0: it's an act, but yeah,
1: but well, you don't want your you don't want your news team scattering to the four winds either
0: well, that's true and
1: there is now a dead body on the floor so but at this point, I think the
0: newscast <laughs> is over. Yeah, right? It doesn't matter whether they go to the Four Winds or not. It's over. You're going to the commercial. You're going to go into a, a TV show. You're going to run a rerun of Mannix or whatever.
1: Just, it, just show last night's news. No one will know the difference, as Chrissy suggests. That's true. <laughs> I don't think she's wrong, to be honest. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. Well, that happens after Chrissy's disappeared because she did run to yeah, the Four Winds. Yeah. And she's hiding out in her dressing room. Yeah. And uh, I, I like the, the lead up into her line there because she's locked in there and she, and she does. Uh, they're, they're trying to get her out. And it's, she says, why? It's the same thing all the time. Inflation, unemployment. Yeah. And then she, she said, why don't you just run re, <laughs> rerun last night's news? And of course, Murphy. Murphy. Oh, Mercy sees Murphy. an opportunity to fulfill the dream <laughs> of a lifetime. He's been waiting his whole life to do this bust down the <laughs> door. Do.
1: All season, he's desperately been wanting to break down the door. Oh, and of guy. course,
0: Laura's like, I, are you sure this is a good idea? And he's, Laura, you know how long I've waited to do this. And then just as he's getting ready to take his shot and he begins running at the door, Greens tells Chrissy, if you don't come out right now, Hoops, our new anchor woman. And of course, she can't the have that. Opens. She opens the door just as Murphy reaches it, and he goes crashing in.
1: <laughs> Crash! <laughs> it's great. This was a great little bit. And then Murphy limping out. Poor I, I guy. I should
0: have kicked it in.
1: <laughs> you should have kicked it in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that is poor Murphy.
0: <laughs> James Reed did a good job on that one.
1: They use him so well in this episode. Even if it's not as, as much as it should be, they use him really well. Mm-hmm. And it, it just goes to show that if used well, Murphy is a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> well, n- next, we see Steele and Amy Fogelson. And he's trying to pump her while she's trying to pump him. And he asks yep. her assessment of the mishaps <laughs> at the station. And, you know, who would want to kill a weatherman? And it's obvious She's got a one-track mind. She doesn't care about yeah. the fact that Steele is investigating Uncle Tim's death. Probably because she doesn't care about him. And I, I like her line when when he asks who would want to kill a weatherman. She says anyone who's interested in journalism. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Ouch.
0: <laughs> calls him a third-rate burlesque act, a clown.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, 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 well. Not just a clown. A clown who puts on a raincoat, pours water on his head, and tells people what they already know. <laughs> <laughs> and She calls the entire program a, a circus. So, yeah, she is not a big fan of happy news either.
1: I think there's a, a certain amount of jealousy in it, though. I think she does want to be on camera, and she mm-hmm. does want to be part of the team, and she was dismissed I don't think she volunteered just to help out. I think she saw that as her chance and then was, of course, waved aside. So I think, uh, yeah, part of it is that it's not serious journalism and she knows that. But the other part is it's that like I don't have any respect for it, but I still want to I still want to be part of it. I still want to be on the team.
0: Yeah. And, and, And of course, we find out later that Elliot was involved in her getting hired. So. She obviously yeah. has some respect for him and he's on the, he's on camera. He's, you know, he's yeah. in, um, in front of the people and yeah, I guess I can see that. You know, I, I think really she probably is overlooking the fact that appearance aside, she is probably best suited for what she's doing. That's probably her best talent her best skill, but no, I can understand yeah. the, the sentiment
1: well, and you see it later when she's practicing her questions, mm-hmm. yes, in front of an invisible camera. That's true. She's imagining herself in that position, right? So she definitely I think there's a part of her that i that wants to be what the news used to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not necessarily what it is, but definitely what it used to be,
0: yeah, well, after their conversation about Uncle Tim, she starts questioning Steele and says that, well, according to his official yeah. bio, which can be mercifully described as sketchy, <laughs> He is supposedly connected yep. with certain government agencies and international organizations, however, neither the Central Intelligence Agency Interpol or m i five have any record of you. It's like uh, i i i there's a great exchange that follows this, and he, he still says a man's death seems far more important than the humble beginnings of a private investigator. She says, "Who are you? My life's an open book. With a, lot <laughs> <blank pages. laughs> a lot of blank pages
1: a lot of blank pages yeah. I feel like he could have dodged this question a little better by simply saying, well, of course they would say they've never heard of me. That's what they're supposed to. That's what intelligence looks like. I feel like he could have played into that a little bit better than just simply rushing past it. But I, it is a really good exchange between the two of them. It's almost like a chess match.
0: Yes. Yes. That's a good way to describe it. Because they are both trying to maneuver each other into it. Admitting something or or revealing something. So, yeah. 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 So, next we jump to the Golden Lady Ballroom. Big band music is playing. Yeah. And there are several elderly couples dancing, a few more sitting at tables scattered around the room. And we see Laura. She looks around, spots Elliot Walsh, sans toupee, and goes to his table. Yep. He invites her to sit down, and he accuses her of having discovered his secret vice. Yeah. You know, the couple of scenes that we have in this ballroom. I don't know if any place like that exists anymore, but that would be cool if it did.
1: It w- would really be cool. It
0: Cuz I'm I'm a fan it, of big band music anyway, cool. so so it would be the yeah. kind of place I would I would love to at least go to once. But anyway, Walsh says that he knows why she's there and it's to ask about Uncle Tim. But first, she kind of takes a little detour. She recounts the time she saw him at the lecture. Yeah. while she was in college. And she asked, why would someone with his background and experience be doing an anchor job for something like Spotlight News? Obviously, she sees yeah. the discrepancy between him and what he's doing now. And he says, well, you know, you have to change with the time, Just roll with the punches, go with the flow and all those cliches. Says yeah. he's actually grateful for being able to do it because his kind of reporting is passe. And yeah. that while there are still some that, dig for their own stories and do their own research and write their own copies. It's rare in these days of male models and junk food news. And I wrote down, "Mm, protesteth too much. He, he's
1: this definitely hints. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He, he tries to make it seem like he's grateful for it and that he recognizes that things have changed and he's trying to adapt, but (laughs) Of course, as we find out later, he's really not, but he, I think, I think he doesn't do too good a job of hiding his true feelings. I think they come out in how they put uh, how he puts it.
1: I think he's probably one of the most complex and likable murderers mm-hmm. <laughs> that we've seen on this show yeah. in that I don't see his, and, and she kind of clocks it when she writes his confession. Mm-hmm where he started out just trying to embarrass them. And eventually it just sort of spiraled almost like crimes of passion where he's just snapping. And it it feels to me that he's there. We see him there twice, once after the first k- murder and the other after Chrissy is killed mm-hmm. and he's reckoning with himself. He's not, happy about what he's done he, he and maybe that slip is him subconsciously wanting to be caught because he knows that what he's done is it's there there's a psychological term i heard that's usually meant to describe vets that have ptsd but essentially what they have is called a moral injury where they've done something that goes fundamentally against their values in every way shape or form and they just cannot reconcile that with what they've done, mm-hmm. it's just they're too far apart, and I feel like that's the case with Elliot. That he's sitting there, he's trying to convince himself maybe that he's grateful for Spotlight News, and at the same time, as you say, it's slipping out. It's it's not he's not easy to it's not easy for him to to hide it. But he's so charming while he does it, and Laura is just so taken with him. She still sees this man who lectured at her college. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see this aging man, this bitter man. She sees the man that she was afraid to talk to all those years ago, and it makes it so much more heartbreaking at the end when he lets her down.
0: Yeah, he is really a very likable person, and it, it you know it reminds me of a okay, I'm going to go there again. It reminds me of a Murder She Wrote episode where uh, one of the <laughs> one of the reoccurring characters, one of the Cabot Cove residents winds up committing a murder. And he says something to the effect that I'm out of control. I can't stop myself. And the context is I need somebody to stop me because I can't do it. And I think that's what you're alluding to here is, is that, he started out trying to just embarrass, but then it got to the point where he was no longer able to control his actions and stop yeah. his actions and even though a part of him knew what he was doing is wrong, there was another part of him that was just pushing him past it but yeah it, it was
1: yeah
0: he he is definitely a very likable character and it's it 's uh, one of those bittersweet murderer situations
1: it's, it's extremely bittersweet it, we just feel for him so deeply he, and he 's a killer i mean we shouldn't but It just, he warns her about believing in heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Laura is determined to believe in him. And that scene where they're dancing together, I think is the first scene where she ever mentions her father too.
0: Right there in my notes. First real reference to her father.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's definitely this feeling that she is looking at him as a mentor-ish figure. Not necessarily a father figure, but a figure of somebody who has shaped her her path and that's why she's gone. He, technically he's a suspect, mm-hmm. but she goes to him and asks if he has any theories. She doesn't suspect him at all.
0: Well, you know, asking a suspect if they have any theories is, is kind of a time honored trope yeah, mysteries. It <laughs> in mysteries. And maybe even in real life too, where you have something like this, although usually most murders are pretty straightforward. Yeah. We know who did it. It's pretty obvious, yeah. but you know, you can use that as a means of, Trying to get them to say something, but yeah, w- what you were saying about uh, her father, I, I I'm not sure that she's necessarily. Obviously, she didn't approach Elliot with a connection to her father uh, initially. No, it was it no. was. He's a man who really inspired me with some of the things that he said and did. But here, when she says, "I remember when I was a little girl, my father used to dance with me like this." And he'd pick me up in his arms so that my feet would dangle way above the floor, yeah. and he'd twirl me around in the living room. And it's at this point that she's making that connection with her father. It's it's not that she's seen him as a father substitute, but she's no, no. that emotional connection there is being made.
1: And that's a very vulnerable thing to say to somebody who's essentially a stranger. She hasn't said anything about her father to steal, or to our knowledge, much about him to Murphy or Bernice either, but this person, because he's such an idol of hers, and I feel like there's this immediate connection between them where she recognizes his his passion for the truth and, and he recognizes her, her same thing. And he, he, she quotes what he said at that lecture where a good reporter tells the facts, a great reporter knows their meaning, which comes up again later on. There's just this feeling of respect mutual respect between them
0: they're kindred spirits
1: just really it's really well done this is so well done
0: (laughs) they're kindred spirits in that sense
1: yeah yeah that's a good way to put it
0: so anyway as you said she asks him his theories about uncle tim's death and of course he has a lot of info some of it it is personal (laughs) opinion but there's there's good information in here He, he calls uncle tim a goofball Not terribly bright, not terribly offensive, harmless enough. Yeah. He says, Chris, he's up for an anchor job in New York and she had no intention of taking him with her. So she thought he was an albatross and something to be discarded as quickly and painlessly as possible. And she asks, well, why would Uncle Tim care? And this is when we learn they are married.
1: They're married. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. Mm.
0: I, I'm having flashbacks to high school. That was not compute. I'm, I'm having flashbacks Does to high not school. I, <laughs> I, um, I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no,
0: it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. It didn't when I was in high school t- either. I mean, I saw these guys who were dumb jocks, uh, and okay, they were jocks, but they were not, not only were they not the sharpest tool in the shed, they couldn't find the shed. But they would have all these women hanging off or all these girls hanging off of them and, you know, and somebody who is a lot smarter, nothing. (laughs) Uh, Anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's not, that's not a personal story about me, by the way. I was never a jock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fair
1: enough. Neither was I.
0: (laughs) So anyway, he, he says that uh, they were married. It generally wasn't known outside the station, but she was married when she was a struggling model. And he paid for a nose job, as well as several other anatomical refinements.
1: Ooh, yep. <laughs> that's
0: well. That's a, that's a kind of a polite way of saying it, I guess. <laughs> and then, of course, she got the yep. the job at the station uh, when Uncle Tim got Ed Green to hire her. And so he naturally figured that if and when she made it big, he should reap some of the benefits of that. I mean, after all, he'd done for her. Why not? And Elliot says, of course, she had other ideas. And then after we learn all that information, we jump to hoops and steel drinking beers at a country bar.
1: Yeah. This is what I mean about him being out of his element.
0: (laughs) And again, we see that she is extremely bitter. And it starts off with at least now he won't have to risk pneumonia every time it rains. Can you imagine what Ed would have made him do yeah. if he lived where it snowed?
1: <laughs> if it snowed, <laughs> that was a good line. I thought, ooh, yeah, because we just had a crazy storm here a couple of nights ago, where literally we had. Have you ever heard of thunder snow? No. So it's it's when you get just an absolutely insane winter storm combined with. Thunder and lightning,, hmm. and we had all of those in fact it 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 was so destructive that up just up the road from where we are, a sinkhole opened up in the street after the storm. <laughs> so yeah, we got thunder snow, yay, we don't just get snow, <laughs> we get thunder snow. I don't know how you'd <laughs> announce that on Spotlight news, but I can't imagine it would be pleasant.
0: <laughs> no, it could be messy, but you know, as yeah. bitter as she is, at least at least her first comments were kind of understandable, but then she gets really personal. I mean, she says, we'll go down yeah. as the first, uh, first station in television to present jiggle news. <laughs> <Yeah>. And, uh, <laughs> says, I have it on good authority. She's, Chrissy's had everything enlarged except of course her brain. She has more sur- her
1: brain. <laughs> she has
0: more surgical scars than Frankenstein. Only he has a higher IQ. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, this is when we find out even more information. Steele asks her why she's so hostile toward Chrissy, and Hoop says, because Ed promised me the anchor slot, and when Chrissy wiggled her way into his line of sight, and slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. I've always heard it as wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But anyway, she got it, and Chrissy does her best work in the prone position, but (laughs) she didn't have any leverage left in that department because she had already slept with Ed to get the sports assignment. So – She resented Chrissy sleeping her way to the top, even though she used the same tactic herself. Hmm. Yeah.
1: I get the impression here that this is a very dog-eat-dog sort of business for for women in anchor positions. And she's jealous that Chrissy managed to become more successful in doing the same thing that she did, that she had what Hoop does not have, which is that conventional sexiness and and has used that sort of conventional sexiness to get into a position that she wanted to be into. I don't think that Hoop would have been opposed to sleeping with Ed to get that anchor position. But in her mind, she has more integrity, so it's okay.
0: Yeah, because she definitely seems to have a problem with Chrissy having done it. Doesn't have a problem with her yeah. having done it, but has a problem with Chrissy having done it. It's <laughs> yeah, like exactly uh, uh, does that compute.
1: <laughs> yeah, because in her mind, and again, this is a it's a bit of a double standard. But in her mind, because she hasn't had everything enhanced and changed and altered for her job, she still has, I guess, her her integrity and her sense of self, and she sees herself as smarter and more qualified. So that's probably all true. When she slept with that, it was her doing what she had to do. Yeah, oh, for sure. But it's also yeah, there's I think an element of jealousy on her part that she just doesn't have that indefinable thing that Chrissy has, and there's no way of getting it because that's just kind of who she is and who Chrissy was. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think it's jealousy. I think it's a bit of a jealousy thing. But it's also a very difficult business for women and and really, you know, you you shouldn't have a business where women are having to sleep with their boss to get a specific assignment. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So next we jump to Laura's office at, back at the agency and Steele informs the team that Chrissy slept her way to the top. And Laura says she can top that. Chrissy was married to Uncle Tim. And then Steele comments yeah. that Channel 3 is a veritable plate place, which is our second movie reference. And Bernice pipes up Lana Turner, Lee Phillips, 20th Century Fox, 1957. <laughs> and then, of course, when Laura and Murphy look at her with kind of stunned looks on her face, she says, well, if you can't beat them, join him.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then Steele gives this little. Yeah. And I like Steele's little like he licks his finger and doesn't an on air point to Bernice, which yeah. is cute.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's nice to see Bernice getting some lines. It's a shame that they're so few, but at least she's getting something. Yeah. So Murphy continues on saying that everybody seems to be what they say they are and who they say they are, except Amy Fogelson. She doesn't seem to have any history going back further than six months when she got her job on Elliot Walsh's personal recommendation. And she didn't even fill out an application. And I, my head is screaming here. And it's like, does this sound familiar to anybody?
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> Do we know anybody else who might not have any kind of history back beyond six months?
1: It should be ringing some bells for sure. Um, <laughs> and if it, like it does. I don't know if Laura just sort of files this away at the moment as not being as relevant because there's characters ha- that maybe have more of a motive at this point.
0: Yeah, but just simply the fact that she doesn't exist beyond six months and that she yeah, doesn't seem yeah, to be who be she is,
1: <laughs> should
0: that, that should—that should jump her up in the list of suspects, at least temporarily, until they can explain it. And they should make the connection that, oh, yeah. this would be because uh, either they're hiding from somebody because they're a criminal or they're in witness protection, in which case... You know, they would probably have a history that goes back farther than that fake though it would be, yeah. but something, something should be ringing a bell. Yeah, you're right. True. Anyway, so Steele muses that Amy Fogelson and Hoop Tracy shared an intense revulsion at the way the news was being exploited on Channel 3 and questions if that would be reason enough to kill a poor buffoon like Uncle Tim. And Murphy points out, hey, murders have been committed for far less logical reasons. Laura points out that Chrissy True. Carstairs considered her husband excess baggage and wanted to get rid of him before she moved on to bigger and better things. And Murphy reminds the gang that Uncle Tim said that if somebody was trying to kill him, he knew exactly who it was. And so... Yeah, all well,
1: signs point to Chrissy at this point.
0: Yeah. And so the discussion is coming to that conclusion. And as they're getting ready to go their way, Steele brings up a problem, which... Everybody knew it was going to come up. Amy Fogelson yep. is determined to unearth the truth yeah. about Remington Steele. <laughs> and of course, Laura isn't pleased. She said, I knew I shouldn't have used that interview cover. That was a mistake.
1: I knew it was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah,
0: it really was. I knew that from the beginning.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like Steele's line here. He says, rather than embarrass or jeopardize her and the agency, he's prepared to do the honorable thing. And Murphy says, oh, so you're going to leave? <laughs> You're going (laughs) to (laughs) leave? No, not a chance. (laughs) Steele says he's going to steal her notes, Uh, and then he slaps Murphy on his injured shoulder, which just, oh, the pain.
1: (laughs) The physical comedy here from James Reed is just chef's kiss. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. He hits him, and he just kind of like, oh, down on the... It would have hurt, too, considering how hard he ran at that door. Well, I
0: I would... (laughs) <laughs> I would be surprised if he didn't have a somewhat serious injury to his shoulder. That really should have been looked at by yeah. a doctor. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Next, we jump to Christy Carstairs' apartment. And this is a bit that you alluded to earlier, mentioned earlier. Uh, Lauren yeah. Steele show up at the apartment. Chrissy answers the door in a rather short and loosely wrapped silk robe and expresses disappointment that they're not yeah. from the deli. <laughs> and.
1: Yeah. If I were hungry, I would too. I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they say they want to talk to her, and she tries to put them off, saying, "Well, as as you mentioned, she's getting the tension pounded from her body, which is a
1: <laughs> interesting way of so putting an interesting it. Interesting way
0: to say massage. Yeah. Uh, well. Mm, <laughs> well, not much know, of a massage. Know,
1: but she could have just said, she could have said, I'm having a massage. Like she didn't yeah. have to say I'm having the tension pounded from my body. I then, think that's probably that closer to the looks, truth than the she,
0: massage. <laughs> true. Yeah. Anyway, still gives her an annoying grin and that's when she says, well, I'm having a massage and <laughs> still gives her, ah, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. Sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wink. And then she, yeah, wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, she agrees reluctantly to let them in and talk to them for just a minute. They ask her about New York, how Uncle Tim was feeling about it, if he threatened to follow her and maybe perhaps even reveal their marriage in hopes of embarrassing her with her new employers. And Laura yep. suggests that maybe Chrissy realized she'd be better off if he were dead. And, of course, Chrissy's upset because nobody's supposed to know about the New York deal. I haven't <laughs> announced it yet. And it, it seems a Laura's suggestion that... Yeah, I was going to say, Laura's suggestion about her and Tim and and the idea that Chrissy <laughs> may have had a hand in his death is just too much stress for Chrissy. Uh, you're making me break out. I'm getting a zit. And <sighs> what's going to happen to my credibility if I have a zit? I mean, oh, oh, oh.
1: <laughs> I just love that because I, I don't know about you, but I have definitely watched the news and thought, hmm, that's not credible. That person has a zit. I yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know they're
1: very relatable experience
0: this made me think of two things one was the old andre agassi commercials for canon cameras images everything style over substance and then the old saying beauty is skin deep but stupid goes clear down to the bone i think that pretty much exemplifies chrissy
1: (laughs) it does actually it's a perfect description of her
0: So anyways, uh, they're they're talking, we hear Russell Stewart's voice from the bedroom. Chrissy Dumpling, was that the deli? And he comes out <laughs> in his underwear with a <laughs> towel around his did. neck.
1: So they are waiting for the deli. She's not lying.
0: Well, not yeah, those lying. Blue
1: shorts for something else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Laura's lying. Ah, <laughs> Mr. Stewart, investigative reporter and part-time masseur. Uh, excuse me, I
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. have to
0: <laughs> fold the towels. <laughs>
1: Pull the towels and he disappears. Smart man. <laughs> he knows he's caught.
0: <laughs> and of course, then the, the doorbell rings. Oh, that's the deli. Now you two must go because we only ordered enough food for two.
1: It's like, mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, back, at,
0: back at the TV station, crew's apparently getting ready for another newscast. And there's a screen. Yep. A crew member has found Chrissy in her dressing room. She's been suffocated with a mud pack. And in investigating the scene, Laura (laughs) discovers several of Chrissy's false fingernails that apparently broke off during the attack. Yeah. I'm not sure I, mm, suffocated with a mud pack. That would be, I don't know. (laughs) Could you do that?
1: Well, if, if there was enough of it and you held it over their mouth. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the manner in which Elliot kills them sort of correlates to what he felt was wrong with the news. Uncle Tim kind of dies in a rather cartoonish way, falls out of the water trough True. and Chrissy, who is vapid and vain is smothered by a mud pack.
0: Her makeup. Um,
1: And I don't know, again, I don't think, yeah, I don't think his, they're obviously intentional. He's obviously intending to kill these people, but I don't think he's, Premeditated. I don't think they're premeditated. I think again, it's one of those he's being pushed to the point where, and and they these things are seemingly happen right before the broadcast. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it's just he's flying, he's just sort of falling into this rage almost. And I don't know. I'm just guessing, but the manner of the murders are very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mudpack falling out of the water trough. Yes. Two things that he theatrical was so angry about when it comes to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Almost the very thing. It he's, sends a
1: message. It definitely sends a message.
0: Almost right? the very thing he's rallying against. Anyway.
1: After. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So after that, we see a scene where Laura is running between <laughs> some buildings and she runs around the corner of one of the buildings and is grabbed by Russell Stewart, who pulls her into an opening in the wall where he and the cameraman are standing, hiding, apparently. Yeah. And, of course, Stuart isn't happy for her to be there. Uh, As a matter of fact, he doesn't seem to be happy to be there at all, bemoaning the fact that he could maybe get killed. And Laura says, well, she has some questions for him about Chrissy. And Stuart rhapsodizes, so vibrant, so alive, so giving. So giving. And Laura asks how long he's been receiving. (laughs) And Russell tries to convince. That's a great line. Yeah, it is. There's, There's a lot of great little quips in this. In fact, that's one of the problems with this whole yeah. whole show as far as doing notes is there's so many great little lines that you wind up copying and so up pasting lines. entire scenes into your notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may have done that later.
0: <laughs> anyway, Russell tries to convince Laura that, no, it really wasn't what it looked like. It, it, it really was. It was a business yeah. conference. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a business conference. We'll call it that. Yeah. He says, Chrissy promised to recommend him for All a job. All my
1: business conferences take place in their underwear.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the best ones do anyway. Um, <laughs> he says that Chrissy yeah. <laughs> promised to recommend him for the job, for a job at the uh, network as a special assignment reporter. And they were discussing what film she should show them to demonstrate where his talents lie. Hmm. <laughs>
1: I don't know that any of those films are appropriate <laughs> to be shown on TV.
0: Yeah, a lot of lying going about. And I don't just mean by what they say either. Yeah. Laura asks if Uncle Tim knew about the business yeah, exactly. relationship between them. And Tim says, well, yeah, he could have. I mean, Chrissy's not exactly known for keeping her mouth shut. And um, when Laura suggests that maybe Tim found out about the relationship and Chrissy's plans to leave him and take Russell to New York, you know, that might have been a reason to get Tim out of the picture. Russell counters that, well, while that may have been an excellent reason to dispose of Uncle Tim, it wasn't for Chrissy because she was his ticket out of this two-bit station, as he calls it,
1: Yeah, and killing
0: her wouldn't help that plan, <laughs> and he's certain that somebody's trying to wipe out the entire spotlight news team. Well, he's not wrong, and even suggests that maybe it's the people he's getting ready to expose, yeah. and just then a pimp rolls Which up is in bizarre his-
1: bizarre because he's <laughs> purple pimp mobile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculously-
1: He he keeps calling him a, oh, it's so pimped out. He keeps calling him a flesh peddler. And I wonder, did standards and practices not want them to use the word pimp? Or was this more just jingo?
0: Hmm, That's a good question. I don't know. Um, They might not have wanted him to use that word. That would be my guess. Yeah. It's just a guess, but that would be what I would guess. But yeah, they, they definitely picked an interesting term flesh peddler same thing basically but yeah anyway did you recognize who the pimp is
1: he looked familiar but i couldn't place him he's very tall though i feel did like you ever see the show night court should be very
0: <gasps> bull oh, shannon.
1: that's him
0: bull shannon yeah <laughs> I used to oh, except love that bull show. shannon was bald but <laughs> this guy's got a full head of hair
1: yeah, yeah. that's what That must be what threw me off, but because, yeah, I love that show. He was one of my favorite characters, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so he rolls up in this ridiculously pimped-out Cadillac convertible, and notice... I love it. (laughs) It's the cameraman who leads the way from the hiding place to confront the pimp. Yeah. With Russell following behind, bravely using Laura as a shield. Can this... I oh, this guy is getting worse and worse. The more I see of him.
1: He's just so gross. He's so repugnant.
0: <laughs> and Russell sort of confronts the police officer who's there accepting a bribe. And the officer attacks the cameraman.
1: He shoves Laura in front of him.
0: <laughs> yeah. He shoves Laura in front of him and he takes off running. And, of course, the cameraman tries to follow.
1: Yeah, and he gives her the microphone. Yeah,
0: Laura's standing there holding the microphone and everybody's running off and leaving her with this, this angry, big monster of a guy. And then, of course, just as he's ready yeah. to grab Laura, the cable from the <laughs> camera that's connected to the mic jerks her out of his grasp. And then, of course, a mad chase <laughs> ensues with Russell and Stuart and the cameraman basically yeah. abandoning Laura. It's only through her... Amazing yeah, running yeah. efforts in in her shoes that she can keep up.
1: In, in heels? Yes. Yep.
0: <laughs> and at, at one Full point she's trapped <laughs> and manages to get away by throwing old clothes at the guy. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is a good scene. And she really uses her wits
0: the three of them run into a cafe where stuart seems to be having a nervous breakdown and he says this is the line he's a fraud yeah. <laughs> a charlatan and a con man a con and it man. comes up yet yeah. again so keep that pin in it and laura doesn't disagree it's almost like yeah and the yeah. Poor
1: cameraman <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: the cameraman's checking his—he's in the background checking his camera for damage. And Laura's comment: "If I had my gun, I would put you out of your misery," yeah. which is hilarious because they never have the gun.
0: Yeah, it's never I, there. I I had that on there on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She—he must have really gotten on her bad side for her to threaten something like that because that's not oh. normally how she would respond to yeah. somebody. But he admits that Amy does not all the research. know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> He admits that Amy does all the research, writes all the questions, picks the people he's yeah, supposed to interview, and that he doesn't even know who many of them are. He says he's tired of always being afraid. He wants to get to somewhere where it's safe, where people don't threaten him or hit him or try and run over him. And that's when Laura says the line, if I had my gun, I'd put you out of your misery.
1: <laughs> put you out of your misery. <laughs> And I feel sorry again for the cameraman who is obviously doing this on a regular basis. And, and he's like Fred where nobody thinks of him mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just in the background. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Stuart says that all he wants is that anchor spot. That's going to open up as soon as they get rid of Elliot. And she's yeah. shocked. And he says, it's a young man's game. I don't care how many toupees Elliot yeah. wears. He's not fooling anybody. He's old. And now she's angry. I mean, she was shocked when she heard he was going to be fired. Now she's angry and she defends him. What about all the years he's put in strengthening his talents, honing his skills? He still has a great deal to offer. And Stuart says, well, maybe he can read the newspapers to the retirees at the old folks home. After which Laura does something that I think is out of character. What
1: a complete jerk.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, in that context, know. you can understand Laura's action, but it seems to me a little out of character when she picks up a pitcher of creamer and dumps it on his head. I don't know. I, to me, that just feels like
1: I think it's just for the what, gag. See, and think? this is, okay, so the, I, I had something like this in my notes, but it wasn't that it's out of character for Laura. I just don't like, they do, this is a trope that you see in TV all the time where somebody pours something over somebody's head because they're mad. And mm-hmm. that person usually just sits there. And that's the gag. They sit there as the ketchup or the whatever, pour over their head, and and they look silly. And this is the part that I think doesn't make it work for me, because a normal human being would be like, what are you doing? And they'd move, or they'd, they'd, they'd jump back or something like that. So I feel like the gag, I don't think it's out of character for her to dump something over his head. She's mad. But it does feel like a bit of a silly gag to have him just sit there and it's like wah wah as the camera sort of zooms in on his face. So I think it would have been made more sense for her to like stomp off and have him just be like trying to get out of his hair.
0: <laughs> and and worse about it is the fact that he sits there perfectly still, but even the expression on his face doesn't change. Yeah. And it's not like he, no, he does doesn't. something where it, it's like, it, whoa, yeah, You know, he's taken by surprise. Maybe he doesn't move, but, but there's some sort of expression <laughs> on his face. Uh, it's just, it's just, okay, we're in the 1930 or 1920s, 1910s, whatever. We're going to take a picture of you. You yes. have to remain yeah. motionless for three <laughs> minutes. Yeah. That it just, yeah. Yeah. That, and maybe that's part of the reason yeah. why it just felt wrong to me is because it, it's, it just doesn't feel right. It's wrong. And that could be the reason.
1: It's turned into a gag.
0: Yeah. Anyway, next we we jump to the studio, and Amy Fogelson is at the news desk reading the questions that are apparently going to be part of an investigation that she's writing for Stewart of a Congressman. Steele comes out of the shadows and compliments her on the questions, and she responds by saying, "Yeah, you think those are good questions? Just wait till you get the ones that Stewart's going to ask you." and this begins <laughs> yeah. a back and forth between the two of them that's interesting. It leads to an interesting place and Steele says, this is
1: again, one of those examples of him confessing something intimate to a side character, something that he otherwise couldn't say to Laura or isn't ready yet to say to Laura, but it gives us some insight into who he is, mm-hmm. which I like.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and that was something that I thought of and I've got it in my notes later on at the end of this kind of the same thing is he's again, he's admitting something to somebody yeah, that, he's not going to see again and he knows it's not going to get back to anybody. Yeah. And he says, well, it it's seems still
1: a risk though, because she's an investigative journalist. It's still a yeah. risk,
0: <laughs> but you know, maybe he is, he's relying on the fact that they know that there's a problem with her past as well. And he's hoping yeah. for a sort of a mutual destruction type thing, but also maybe that he figures, well, a little bit of the truth at this point may solve some problems later on. I don't know.
1: Yeah. This moment, when he says this, he gives this story. It's absent of the usual theatrics and histrionics that he generally employs when he mm-hmm. he talks about himself. He He's obviously, and this might be similar to Laura and Elliot. What he says to her is heartfelt. It's emotional. She is a stranger, but someone that could use this information against him. I think it's more, just more evidence that he reads people really well and he can see that Amy Fogelson is a kindred spirit,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
1: He, he maybe can tell that she has been dealt a crappy hand also. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's a bit of mutual destruction in there that he knows that there's an issue with her own past, but he opens up a lot to her about, and this is like, if we didn't know any spoilers, this is the first time we get real background Mm -hmm. as to who he is and, and what he's been through. Yeah, well, and the lead up to that beautiful little moment—it
0: is—and the lead up to that story is is something I wanted to hit as well because he says, "It seems we both have minor discrepancies in our past." For example, you didn't exist till six months ago, and she says, "Well, you don't exist at all. You don't have a birth certificate. You have tax returns. No fingerprints on file anywhere." And he says,
1: "Tax returns. Tax returns. I know it's
0: always coming back to those tax returns.
1: It's going (laughs) to be relevant
0: later." And he says, "Look, (laughs) you know, two people have been murdered. Why are you so?" Consumed with Remington Steele. And she says, I believe him to be a fraud, a charlatan, and a con man.
1: (laughs) That phrase
0: keeps coming up. Stewart said it twice about himself. And now she's saying it about Steele. I think she is the brains, not just behind Stewart, but I think she's the brains behind this whole news department at this point. Because She's obviously. Yeah. Stewart didn't come up with this line on his own. There is no way. He's no, not, not that smart. No, he didn't. And.
1: No, he's like Chrissy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, it's. it's
1: He's a pretty face, but there's not much behind it.
0: It's a line that just keeps coming up. And this is when he gets into yeah. that story about his background. And, you, you know, and when he starts telling it, he starts telling it. In the, what is it? Was it the second person or the third person? No, the third person. So it's like he's talking about somebody else.
1: Yeah, a and story.
0: He doesn't really yeah. totally change it to first person, but it very quickly you recognize no. that it is a first person story. He is talking about himself. And yeah. even if he doesn't acknowledge verbally that it's about himself, he, he is acknowledging it in a way. And then that's where I have my line here. He's yeah. honest with those who he will never see again. And it's, yeah. I, this, this is, mm. you know what? This is such an important story. I think I'm going to put the audio clip in.
2: Yeah. you're a young man once, virtually an orphan, shunted from relative to relative, always underfoot and unwanted. He'd been given many names as a child, sometimes to, suit the vanity of those who sheltered him, others to build the government with one more dependent. He never really knew who he was or where he belonged, so he set out at an early age to find something he could call his own, something to, he could hang on to when the nights turn bitter and the faces unfriendly. And as he'd been taught by his elders, he acquired many names in that pursuit and many professions to go with them. He saw a great deal of the world. Mostly from the underside. Cheap lofts. Drafty street corners. He's still searching Miss Fogelson. Merely from a better perch. If you can find that young man at any of your notes, he'd greatly appreciate it.
0: This story gives us more about Steele's background than I think, not only than, than we've gotten up to this point, but I think that, this one story gives us more condensed information about him than we get yeah. in the entire series. I mean, we get the bits and pieces later on.
1: Yeah, it's good. And it's beautifully written.
0: It is. It is. It's, it's, and it's well delivered.
1: Oh my God. So well delivered. Like he, he makes it believable that cause steel for the most part is a bit clownish in this season. And he goes from clownish to, delivering this very serious monologue about himself and about his past, and we believe that he can be clownish, but he can also be very, there's a pathos to this that is just, it tugs at your heartstrings without being cloying or overly cheesy, which is hard to do, I think, especially in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I think they defaulted to cheesy more often than not, so it's really good.
0: Well, and it's obvious that the story you know the story resonates with us. I mean we can we can see that with with his character yeah. that this is a sincere, heartfelt I mean dredged up from the depths story and it affects Amy as well. Now yeah. she isn't totally going to let yep. that deter her, but it no it does have an effect because as Steele is turning to leave, yeah. she volunteers information. I don't think she would have otherwise. Yeah. And and this goes back to your earlier thing about why would he do this? Because she volunteers that on the day Chrissy was killed, she heard Chrissy arguing with Hoops Tracy. She doesn't know what it was about, but it was threatening and violent. And I don't think he would have gotten that if it wasn't for the story. I don't think he did that to get her information. No. I think he did that to connect with her.
1: No, I don't think so either. But. Yeah, he gives up a piece of himself.
0: And so she gives in return. So,
1: very willingly, yeah, yeah. and
0: Steele thanks her very softly, he thanks her for the information, and it's yeah, it's so
1: good, yeah, so good
0: and and again, as I said, it doesn't the story isn't going to deter her she's she warns Steele that while yeah. his story was as she says very affecting, doesn't mean the hunt's over, and he says for either side, yeah, my question,
1: yeah. Which his I hunt, like. I like
0: that about the truth, or his hunt for the truth, it, it, just about Amy, or for himself as well. I, 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 I know I that's think both. That's
1: I think definitely both. That's
0: a pretentious question, yeah. but I, I, I really think that there's elements of <laughs> no. I think it's both a good question because he, he yeah. from his story, he's still searching for himself, but he's also searching for the truth about Amy Fogelson yeah. because she is a suspect in this story. So. Yeah, I think that one's layered yeah. with several meanings. Yeah. Back at the Golden Lady Ballroom, Elliot Walsh is at a table. Yep. He still has his toupee on, which presumably was from the earlier newscast. He pulls a bottle yep. and a paper bag from his jacket. Mm. And, of course, yeah. as he does, Laura comes to the table <laughs> yeah. and he invites her to sit down and join him. That is, um, that he gives a, an excuse about it. He says, it's a game we play. They don't permit alcohol in here. So from time to time, I smuggle in a bottle. They bring me a pot of tea and I pretend, or we all pretend that I'm getting smashed on orange pico.
1: I'm
0: kidding. (laughs) I think there's more to it than that. First of all, (laughs) carrying a bottle in your jacket is not something that a normal person would do. That's something that a person who is either an alcoholic or will on their way to becoming an alcoholic would do. And... To bring it around to something you said earlier, which I hadn't thought of prior to this, is the fact that maybe he is self-medicating because, as we discussed, he is out of control. He's doing things that are repugnant to him, but he's doing them and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He doesn't know how to stop it. And by self-medicating with alcohol, maybe it will deaden the guilt he's feeling about what he's doing. He Maybe he thinks yeah. it'll help him get a little bit of control back or something. I don't know.
1: I think his actions are weighing heavily on him at this point. He's not, when when Laura went in to see him in the other scene, he was charming. He was funny. He was, despite the fact that he killed somebody, he didn't seem to be as weighed down with with anger, and this anger that he's holding back, it slips out here. He calls it a mercy killing, and that's an interesting phrase, because he might be revealing how he sees his actions, an act of mercy for a higher cause. He doesn't feel good about what he's doing, but when Laura asks whether he's worried he'll be next, he says, in truth, I would welcome it. Oof.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's you know he when he says the line about any idea who the mercy killer is he tries to say it lightly jokingly mm-hmm. but yeah it's this is yeah. definitely a different tone of conversation than their earlier ones
1: it is very different and Laura senses that you can see in her face that she's she's still trying to see him as a hero she's still trying to see him as a good man she's con- trying to convince him mm-hmm. he's done good work she keeps reminding him of it and yet he's just not able to see it anymore. He's, he's not capable of that. Um, he's here, he's revealing the truth of his feelings.
0: He, he asks Laura, do you have heroes? And she says, she's looking at one of them and he says, heroes are important.
1: They give you something to strive for.
0: (laughs) And he, he makes a couple of references and he makes one to tell the truth, like Ed Morrow. And when Laura Assures him that yeah, he has been a hero yeah. like that. He says, and what has it gotten me? I'm a trained seal, honking and clapping for my lousy yeah. portion of fish. Oh. I hide under some Sicilian peasant's crowning glory, stab myself with corsets, and pretend to give serious consideration to whether Princess Di is pregnant again. What and and then the the next line, while yeah. Chrissy Carstairs, every teenager's midnight fantasy, whose head has never held a single solitary single thought, solitary is thought. summoned <laughs> to New York to read the news at six hundred thousand per.
1: That's a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's lot, a lot of money. money.
0: He is looking at what he has gotten out of being this hero as Laura describes him. And he's seeing that nobody respects. Heroes. Nobody respects people who go out and do the things no. that nobody else wants to do. They'll take the benefit from it. Yeah. They'll say, Great, I I like this result, but you, the guy that actually did the work, you, the lady who actually did the work, who got down there and got dirty and did it. You, eh, you're nothing. Go away. You you're bothering me.
1: Which is something Laura has been living for for this that that like Laura she's that's her that's what's going on that's what's been going on she's the one doing all the work steel is the one getting all the attention and if we're going to use the same metaphor steel is Chrissy carstairs <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but oh, you, <laughs> out of my head out of my and head maybe that's, that's <laughs> steel jiggling on <onto> <laughs> But maybe that's why it's such a, sorry, I, I think I broke him, everyone. <laughs> maybe that's why it's such an injustice and why Laura connects so deeply with, with him and wants to reassure him that he has done good work. Because in, in, a, in a way, it's almost like she's able to reassure herself that what she's doing matters. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it does. Because you can see Stephanie's face is so expressive here. She looks irritated with him, angry that he can't see what she can. And then when he asks her if she's ever thought about growing old, she says, not really. Right? And he says, don't do it. It's a very demeaning process. The first thing isn't to go, it's your hair, it's your courage. And that's just, it's such a deeply felt moment for her, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a great exchange. It's its well written. It's well acted. Yeah. Um, It's, yeah, it's very emotional and then Laura you know she has to ask about Amy what's her background where did she come from how did he meet her and obviously he understands that Laura is looking at her as a possible suspect and he says no just if if you have any respect for me at all leave her alone just accept what i'm going to tell you here leave her alone she's the only decent one down there she's got plenty of history but it's not for public information just yeah. leave her alone and yeah, that's, yeah, he's obviously, he's, he's connected with her emotionally. So.
1: And it's interesting because most people would think if he's a murderer, he'd welcome anybody mm-hmm. else getting the blame for what he's done because it means he doesn't get caught. But in this case, he's, he's fine diverting Laura with telling her information about uncle Tim's marriage and you know, Chrissy, et cetera. But the minute she starts to zero in on somebody that he actually respects, that's again that goes against his moral code. No, nope, leave her alone. She's she doesn't have any part of this. Yeah. So it just ah, such a good those two scenes back mm-hmm. to back too. Like
0: yeah, you know, oof. in in some ways they're almost <laughs> I was gonna say they're almost almost
1: Parallel. they're almost
0: bookends in in a way. Because they're they're both people revealing things about themselves to somebody. One, and, and both of them are in danger by their revelations.
1: Yes. Yes. So,
0: anyway, yep. next we see Steel and Hoops are at her home out on her driveway playing basketball. And they exchange some pleasantries. Yeah. And then <laughs> Steel asks if she has some other less sporting name. And then we find out her name is actually Margaret. Yeah. But Margaret didn't pay the bills. Steele asks about the last time she saw Chrissy. And when she says, well, you know, it was before you and I went to that country bar, the, you know, the day before she got killed, he shoots down her story and says, no, (laughs) no, sorry. Someone heard you and Chrissy having a violent argument on the day she died. She almost seems ready to deny it. She, you know, it's, oh, who said that? Who said that? Yeah. You know, as if. Well, depending on who it was, I might be able to discredit that person. But, you know, she she gives up on that and then admits that, yeah, it's true. She'd asked Chrissy to put in a good word for her with Ed to be the second anchor. Uh, but she, as she put it, Chrissy got on her high horse saying that she had to earn the job like Chrissy did on merit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on merit. ugh <laughs> <laughs> oh. Which is hilarious considering they both use the same quote unquote merit to get yes. into their positions, right? But so.
0: apparently, some merits are more equal than others. When Steele well, points out that Chrissy
1: did have hers enhanced, <laughs> yes, that's true.
0: When, <laughs> when Steele points out that Margaret had asked Steele if anyone would notice if she had had Chrissy put to sleep, Margaret says, Well, yeah, maybe she had reason to kill Chrissy, but why would she kill Uncle Tim? She she didn't have a reason to do that. And then Steele yeah. agrees that she has a point, provided, and this is something that's not come up yet in the discussion.
1: It's the same person.
0: Yeah, provided it's yeah. the same person who killed them both. And he's at least throwing out the suggestion, which probably should have been brought up earlier, that mm-hmm. maybe they're not being done by the same person. I mean, there's there's a fair assumption that it is, but you, you do have to consider these things anyway. Yeah. Next, we're back at the TV station, and we're in the back offices, and Amy Fogelson is at her desk typing. Laura and Steele walk in, holding a folded yeah. piece of paper. And Amy says, <laughs> I hope you can think on your feet, yeah. Mr. Steele. These are the questions that Russell's going to ask you tonight. But Steele and Laura aren't there about their upcoming interview. They've got a story that Amy might be interested in. It's the story of someone who planted incriminating documents on yep. a congressman she suspected of taking kickbacks and then ran the newspaper story for the paper she worked for. And, of course, they say that the allegations did prove true, but Agnes Fowley was fired from the paper from her unethical behavior. And Laura says, well, I'm sure you're painfully familiar with the details, Miss Fowley. Yeah. And she says, yeah, she's been
1: busted
0: yeah she's she she's been waiting for six months for the other shoe to drop and here it is with a great big thud and she tells the story about how she couldn't get a newspaper job even delivering them to save her (laughs) life and she finally came to see elliot and although he disapproved of my methods he understood my motives is what she says and so he interceded with ed green on her behalf yeah. Laura points out that someone with such a fervent desire to punish the guilty, no matter what the cost, just might see Spotlight News as the up, ultimate corruption and want to put an end to it permanently.
1: Yep. And she's right, just wrong person. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Right motive, wrong wrong target. And yeah. she says, look, you know, I'm not going to hide the fact from you that I did all these things. You're You're, you're right. I did all the things. I'm everything you say I am, except I'm not a murderer. And she asks what they're going to do with the information. And steel begins making an unspoken bargain with yeah. her. There's no <laughs> sense in exposing someone for their past indiscretions. And she reaches down, I'm grabs sorry. an envelope and hands it to steel or holds it out yeah. while steel holds <laughs> out the paper. And they each kind of, you know, like two scorpions yeah. getting ready to go at each other. They each hesitate, and then they snatch the contents out of the other president's hand, and then after a beat, Steele gives her. Then he her
1: makes look her take the sheet point-
0: out of the. That's typewriter. right. He gives her a look and points <laughs> to the sheet, the typewriter, and she rips the page out from it and hands it to him. And then, and then she she says a line that uh, Laura catches but doesn't comment on. I hope that kid finds himself. Yeah. And Steele replies, "He's never stopped trying," and I, Laura. Obviously she recognizes that there's so something sweet. that she, there there's a yeah there there's something that that you guys are talking about that I have no clue about but she doesn't say yeah. anything she's curious but she doesn't say anything about it at least not right then Yeah And then we jump to the station news set Murphy walks in complaining about how he dislikes the part of the job that has him delivering autopsy reports.
1: Autopsy reports. And
0: I have a note here. The, The original story, like I said earlier, was written by Fred Lyle and Duncan Smith. Michael Gleason participated in the writing of the script. I'm wondering, did Michael Gleason include this line, or maybe it was one of the other writers, based on what we discussed previously about James Reed's frustration about how his character had been reduced to basically an extra. Do You, th- that's you think
1: that's an interesting thought. I never considered it.
0: I mean, because it, it feels, fits so well.
1: I mean, we've seen Murphy. Yeah, we've definitely seen Murphy being reduced to getting the autopsy reports in past episodes, and he does mention it again in I think it's steals gold when he kind of loses his mind a bit. Um, but yeah, there definitely does seem to be an expression of frustration with his own position and could definitely have been something that James Reed spoke of, or could just be that it tracks with his character, maybe both. But yeah, I hadn't thought about that part of it.
0: Yeah. It just, it, it seemed to be, we're late enough into the season that certainly the production team, Michael Gleason yeah. and everybody else was aware of James Reed's frustration. And:
1: yeah, well, I would be too, if I was I, one of the main characters and was barely ever on screen. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and it just that line just happens to fit that scenario so well, particularly at this time of the season. So yeah, it was just a thought that came to mind. Uh, anyway, Laura reads aloud from the report mentioning that the report shows that there was blood under the f- broken fingernails from Chrissy, and she editorializes about how Chrissy must have put up a struggle. And, of course, Steele summarizes that, well, apparently she managed to inflict a substantial wound on her killer. And Murphy rebuts his conclusion by pointing out that "Eh, there's nobody walking around with scratches or Band-Aids. And then Steele Kind of jokingly says, unless it's on a portion of the anatomy we don't <laughs> normally see. And you know. The
1: two of them laugh together. Like there's a little bit of a moment here.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Murphy says, well, he doubts the killer suffocated Chrissy in the buff. And, and you know that Steele is thinking about Russell Stewart yep. and coming out of Chrissy's room. And of course, oh, as, them, yep. as those two are engaged in the exchange and they're, they're laughing, we see that stunned look.
1: Laura comes over Laura's face. Whenever (laughs) Steele
0: inadvertently says the thing that brings it all together. Yeah. And she turns and looks at him with that semi blank look that she does. So well, it's like, you know, you really are incredible. And Murphy, Murphy, of course, can't believe it. Oh, come on, Laura. Don't tell me he's come up with the solution again. (laughs) And of course, after Laura says, yeah, he did it again. Murphy asks Steele, and this is this is interesting because Murphy asks Steele to share his brilliant deduction with a fellow detective. And, of course, yes. Steele says, come yes. on, Murphy, you I know these things you. are always more fun when there's an audience to guess along. And then he slaps <laughs> Murphy on the shoulder, and again, Murphy just howls in pain. Oh. But that line, care to share Poor your Murphy. deduction with a br- uh, fellow detective, I think this is the yeah. first time that Murphy acknowledges Steele. There as a detective, although he probably didn't intend to do that. but
1: No, it was more partly sarcastic, but definitely it was there. And then he, and Steele's, it's always more fun with the audience to guess along. He might as well turn and winked to the rest of us, because that was definitely a comment to the audience.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but it's just that line from Murphy's. I, I just realized that that was... As as I was taking my notes, I realized that that was probably the first time that he's ever really truly acknowledged Remington Steele as being a detective or having reached the level where he could be considered a detective. So I thought that was an uh, an interesting, yeah, interesting line. Well, next, we're at the news studio, and the evening news is starting, and the new news team is Biff Lagerfield, replacing mm. Hoops Tracy on sports. Cousin Claude, replacing Uncle Tim with the weather. Oh, come <laughs> on, with the names, come on. Russell Stewart is still yeah, the investigative reporter, country. although I'll put the investigative reporter as being now, new and improved Thanks. with sarcasm quotes around it. Yeah. Because the only yeah. thing he could investigate uh, is how to fold towels. Uh, Elliot Walsh is still the lead anchor, and now <laughs> Margaret Tracy is the new second anchor. The team seated. Elliot begins reading the first story about the death of Chrissy Carstairs, how the autopsy revealed blood under her fingernails, indicating that she had managed to inflict deep lacerations on her assailant. And then he reads, and I I checked the teleprompter, and the rest, almost everything else that follows is on the teleprompter, where he reads, the killer was obviously driven by some deep-seated need to express his rage at the loss of heroes. And
1: just his delivery.
0: He sees Laura and standing by over by a second teleprompter. And despite realizing that what he is about to read is his confession on the air, he continues. Yeah. And he says, and, and again, this is all on the teleprompter. The killer began by trying to embarrass those he felt who were trivializing the news, but his anger soon pushed him beyond protest to the dark corners of murder. And this is where he goes off the teleprompter and says that yeah, after yeah. doing the newscasts for more care- years than he cares to remember, this is going to be his last one. And he reaches up, takes the toupee off his head, and we see the scratches from back to front across his scalp. And steel <laughs> slips away into the control room. And I don't think Laura yeah. saw that. I he just He just did it. And in no. the control room, Green is ordering the video feed cut, saying that they've they got to go to a commercial, go to a commercial. But Steele intervenes, demanding that they let him speak. Yeah. Walsh continues with a scathing vilification of spotlight news. He describes television as a magical tool of light and sound, an instrument that can help create the most informed people in the world, in the world's most enlightened republic. But instead, he says, we give you spotlight news. We put on happy faces and happy talk. We serve up wars and disasters like mealtime snacks. And he denounces spotlight news as not just a local disgrace, but a national affliction. And he pauses his tirade and then makes an acknowledgement of Laura and her I I, I wrote down admiration because I couldn't think of any other term that's yeah. that's really not the right term, but obviously he has developed a strong relationship and feeling for her. And yeah. I think she has been his lifeline, in a sense, bringing him back from from where he's been. And he yeah. says that... Um,
1: I, I think so, too.
0: He says that a young lady he's become fond of has reminded him of something that he once said about a good reporter giving the facts and a great reporter understanding their meaning. He says he won't claim any greatness. He'll just simply give the facts. And he says, those of us who sit in these well-salaried seats are not the news. We're not the news. Forget the polished smiles, the scripted banter, and our pretty faces. We are not the news. The news is unexpected, hard, ugly, and complex. And as he's saying all this, of course, Laura begins crying and Murphy puts his arm around her.
1: She lets him comfort her. And that, I had that in my notes, that it's, it's a, a very... Interesting moment, because Steele both of these men do something for her that she needs. Steele slips away to make sure that this doesn't get cut, that he's able to express what he needs to express, and in a way, he's talking to her too and Murphy puts his arm around her, and this is one of the few times we see Laura cry. We don't really see her cry on this show very often. I think I can think of maybe one other time, and this is the crack in her armor. This is an impassioned speech from a man who has lost everything. And when he looks at her that first time, he gives her this... She looks back. She looks back at him defiantly, but also kind of heartbroken. And it's interesting that he knew instinctively what Laura needed to hear and what he needed to say. And... Like the camera work is great, it's excellent. It cuts to these others taking in his confession the looks that range from horrified to heartbroken. And Amy, in particular, looks especially let down. And it's just like when he says the news is unexpected, it's hard and ugly, and most of all, it's complex. This feels to me like the most significant part because it pretty much describes what has happened in this episode. He's not a mustache twirling villain, but he's not a good person. He's killed two people, he is a murderer. And yet, we feel for him despite everything. Laura feels for him. We like him. What he did is horrific. And yet, we understand that it's not black and white. Like, the news and what he did, it's hard to understand. It is ugly and it is complex. And then he says, don't settle for us. You're better than that. You deserve better. And holy hell can J.D. Cannon deliver a speech. Like, just all of it is
0: incredible. and when Laura starts crying, you, you said that it's because she's seen her hero who has crumbled. I think there's more to it than that, though, because yeah. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's absolutely 100% correct. But I think it's also the fact that she was one of the people that helped bring him down. Now, she didn't yes. she didn't cause yes. him to commit the murders, absolutely. but she was one of the ones who helped Bring yeah. it out that he had—he was a failed hero. He was a yeah, a fallen hero, and yeah, I think she is all as,
1: of his vulnerabilities.
0: Yeah, I think she is feeling as much pain about having done what she did, despite the fact that she knew she had to, despite the fact that she had no choice yeah. in the matter. Yeah, but just because you do something that you know you have to, it's like when you you have your kids and you have to discipline them or you have to disappoint them about something.
1: You yeah. don't want to oh. do
0: it, but you hey. know, you have to for their best interest.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know,
0: it's, it's that pain of crumble,
1: and you just feel terrible.
0: Exactly. And that's, I think what that is part of what she's feeling here is that. Yeah. She had to do it, but that doesn't mean it. She feels good about it. No. But
1: yeah. Anyway, I agree.
0: His image fades from the monitor, and then we move to the Golden Lady Ballroom. Laura and Remington are dancing to a mellow big band tune. And I have, I think, a musical edit here that does not show up on Krebby's list of edited steals. Because both the script and the transcript that I get from the website Shows that the song that's playing in the background is as time goes by, but if you listen to what little bit of the music we can distinctly hear, it's not. It's not as time goes by.
1: Yeah.
0: So no, it isn't. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an edit that needs to show up somewhere. But yeah, it's as best as I can tell. It's probably just a stock big band sounding track from somebody's musical library somewhere. But it's it's definitely not the song that is I, referenced. Yeah. So. Anyway, as they're dancing, they're talking, and Steele is somewhat befuddled. He says, I realize my powers of deduction have sharpened <laughs> <You> considerably wanna... <laughs> under your tutelage, but exactly how did I solve this one? And she says, Well, it's...
1: You want to tell me? You want to fill me in?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a genius. I'm brilliant. Here. What did I do? <laughs> and Laura says, Well, when you yeah. said the scratches were probably on a portion of the killer's anatomy we don't normally see, but we always saw Elliot without his toupee. Exactly. He hated the toupee. It represented everything exactly. he'd grown to despise yeah. about himself. But she remembered that he wore it the last time that she saw him at the ballroom. He had to wear it. Yeah. And Steele expresses his condolences And in a about, sense,
1: it trapped him.
0: Yeah. It's one of those, as the old say, saying goes, damned if you do, damned if you don't. The fact that yeah. he wore it was out of character. And that was evidence. That was a clue. Yeah, But if he hadn't, of course, it would have been yep. a clue as well. So, yeah. Yep. So, Remington expresses his condolences about the man who had once been one of Laura's idols. And she says he's a fallen idol. But he tries to restore some of her admiration for the man by reminding her that in the end, he managed to get back on his feet.
1: Yeah, and he's right. He didn't run. He didn't... Lash out. he didn't attack anybody. He he delivered a confession.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Willingly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, and there's something to be said for somebody who makes a mistake. Okay, this is a huge mistake. Uh, who does something wrong. Oh, even yeah. If, <laughs> you know, and it's not just somebody does something wrong and they don't realize it and they realize it after the fact. But even somebody who does something wrong, knowing it's wrong as they're doing it but regrets yeah. it and at least later has the courage of at least owning up to it. You know, there's something to be said for that, that, that does, yeah, that does show some character.
1: I think admitting it was a relief for him. Mm-hmm. He was finally able to just, I mean, whatever the consequences are, and obviously he would face jail time for that. He was, he was done pretending.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, anyway, after he says that to her, Laura asks him about the exchange between himself and Amy yeah. about hoping the kid finds himself. And Steele says, ah, it's a poor waif wel- yeah. Yeah, wandering the cold, cruel poor world wife. in search of himself. <laughs> she asks, anybody I know?
1: Goes back to his.
0: Yeah, back to his kind of casual, lighthearted. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's nothing important. And she says, anyone yeah. I know, and he says, slightly, <laughs> but with a little luck, you'll know him far more intimately. And yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's the episode. Ah, I'm sorry. This is a tough
1: one to and get I, through. I think, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I think it was an important episode, though, because we get so much here that it was mm-hmm. obviously going to be a little longer than some of the others. But I think this last line is also interesting because it's played as innuendo. Mm-hmm. but it also comes across as a promise. He's not ready to share his story yet, but someday he will. So, mm-hmm. it's yeah. And I look into what's otherwise a very heavy episode.
0: <laughs> you know, and y- you're, you're correct in that. It does have a little bit of innuendo into it, but you know, really, I didn't read it that way. Primarily, primarily, I read that more as the promise.
1: No, me either.
0: So Anyway, uh, like I said, tough episode to get through, especially Ooh. at points. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> website, www.steelwatching.com, has show notes. We'll have links to Amazon's listings for foreign correspondent and the Peyton's Place. The Peyton's Place? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think it's just uh, Peyton's
1: Place.
0: Yeah, to Peyton's <laughs> Place. <laughs> Hey, who's Peyton? Uh, No, it'll have links to Peyton Place, the (laughs) movie, and Foreign Correspondent, and links to some other resources, such as?
1: The uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Steel Watchers Facebook, or Steel Watching Facebook page, but also the Steel Watchers Facebook group, where we hang out, we share pics, we share videos, we just talk about various parts of the show. And overall have a pretty good time. So people should to join us and, and follow those other social media pages.
0: Yes. Join us. It's my plug. <laughs> and also join us for the next episode, which is vintage steel.
1: Vintage steel. Yes. <laughs> dun, 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 the one we've all been waiting for.
0: Yes. And this one's going to be <laughs> yours. So there we go. <laughs>
1: I'm not intimidated at all by one of the most biggest fan favorite episodes of the series. No, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine. Well,
0: <laughs> be honest with you. That's great. <laughs> I um, I'm glad that you get this one because I I think sometimes no. <laughs> the no, I think sometimes the the podcast episodes go better when you're leading them than when I'm leading them, but anyway. <laughs> uh, well,
1: necessarily think that's true <laughs> anyway I think they go down more tangents rabbit holes <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway hey thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you next time bye-bye bye-bye hey everybody eric and sarah here just a quick announcement to let you know that yes we do appreciate everyone who listens participates and supports the podcast in whatever way you do but We wanted to give an extra thank you to those who are so graciously giving to be monthly financial supporters.
1: We are making live streams of our recording sessions available to anyone who is a monthly financial supporter. So not only can you watch us live as we record our podcast episodes, you will be getting access to the raw, behind-the-scenes, unedited version of episodes before they get officially released.
0: And, Sarah, does that include our mistakes and screw-ups and our humiliating? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Every it does. single
2: one of them. <laughs> Every single
0: one of them, yes. So, again, this is just an extra thank you to those who are going above and beyond. But whether you choose to become a monthly financial supporter or not, we still love you. We want to say we thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your feedback.
1: If you want to become a monthly financial supporter, please visit our website at www.steelwatching.com to sign up.